Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perotin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perotin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. Hey everybody, it is your good friend, Dr. David Proden from down here in the North Star Recording Studio, wishing you a very happy Monday. And it is cold, 25 degrees below normal today, So, which isn't kind of out of the ordinary right now. We've had the streak of 40 to 50 days where it's been very cold, and that will go for about the next week. But when we talk very cold, we're talking, you know, 20 to 25 degrees below normal. And if there was snow cover right now, and sometimes this time of year there is a little snow cover, it would be even colder than that. So, yeah, my first bike ride of the year isn't going to be until May. So, um, but um, want to welcome all of you who are here tonight, which is... Solitude Surfer. So welcome. Uh, we need some others to fall in. So, but welcome here to our good friend, Solitude Surfer. Hey, buddy, how's it going? Hope all is well where you are. And uh, a couple things here going on for uh, the dock. Um, I don't know. I changed the time up last week to 830. I don't know if that threw people off because I had um, some stuff going on. So, but anyway... We are back to our 8.15. And uh, tonight's show, by the way, the title, as you can see, Propaganda Clone, How Zelensky Modernized FDR's Franklin Delano Roosevelt's Fireside Chat. And I'm going to do a reading from the Velocity of Information um, about FDR's Fireside Chats and what that meant for propaganda and also for civilian morale. And to preface that a little bit, uh, propaganda um, back in like the 1940s wasn't necessarily a negative term. Um, it became more of a negative term going forward after World War II. But before that, um, for example, the way we got Yellowstone National Park was propaganda, right? So one of my favorite books is right here. It is Propaganda by um, Edward Bernays. So it's a light paperback. Uh, pretty quick read, and let me see when this was written. Um, so Bernays gives you an insight into what uh, what propaganda is, right? Um, 2000, 1928, and then also in 1955, it was renewed. So um, this one was printed with the permission of the estate of Edward Bernays. So, yes. Um, but, yeah, 1928 and then again 1955. I think I have the 55 version, although obviously it's much much more recent than 55 because it's paperback here. Uh, but it's short. I mean, this isn't a big trim. It's not like a 6 by 9 trim, about 160 pages. And this, you know, helps you identify um, propaganda around you, right, and then the intentions of propaganda. Um, what are some of the 
kind of what the new propaganda was. Again, remember, he wrote this like back in the 30s. So um, his first um, organizing chaos was the first one. Then uh, the new propaganda, so you kind of see where my in was. I didn't, um, I didn't specifically get into... Um, I, I was going to cite this book and then I decided not to. And the reason was I felt if I got too much into Bernays work, um, it would shift my, the perception of my book a little bit, right? Because the book is, is meant to go middle of the road. And, and I thought if I got into Bernays work, it would kind of shift it off into a little bit of propaganda and maybe a little bit of conspiracy theory. So while I appreciate um, Bernays work, it's, I didn't cite it. I didn't include it in my book. Um, okay. The psychology of public relations, business and the public propaganda, public and political relationship, women's activities and propaganda, propaganda for education, propaganda and social service, art and science, and mechanics of propaganda. Is that it? Um, yeah. So looks like 11 chapters, right? So I am going to, um, grab a coffee and hang out at my library once it warms up because I want to be able to walk along. We have our river walk and then um, go through and, and read this again, because there are a lot of interesting stories. Like one here is the million dollars lost by false rumor on Hudson's dock. And then um, just Bernays does a, does a really good job. What I did hopefully in, um, the velocity of information was to put a contemporary spin on that. So, all right. Um, I can't believe nobody else is here right now. So let me check the settings. Like I don't have it on some secret setting where it's only, um, you know, whatever members only here. So this is weird. I don't know where everybody is. What other event is going on right now? So, um, yeah, let me, I'm checking through here and, uh, so, all right. I just did post this out on, uh, so, um, I don't know guys, I guess what else is happening on this Monday? You know, I used to think of this always as Easter Monday, um, which I guess it's still, by definition is, um, but where I thought, you know, school would be closed today and things like that. And it really wasn't the, um, you know, wasn't, wasn't accurate <laughs> at all. So, um, so yeah, let's see here. Um, all right. Good, good. All right. Well, I don't know. Um, this is weird. It's weird, guys. So I got, I have got some good news to share and news in general to share, but I kind of want to wait until, um, you know, some more people come on board here. So, yeah. Um, but anyway. <laughs> Um, let me see if I can find here on the web, right? That the show is live. So it is, it says live now. 
So I don't know what the deal is right here. So this is, well, people are going to fall in. So, huh, crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, so let's see here. Um, okay. Well, again, a few things. It's been unseasonably cold here, and not just for a couple days. It's really been for all of 2022, and that is extremely unusual, and it will go right through into the start of March. Now, we, we are going to have a few days, which will hit up around, you know, even 65 or, or 70, but that's not atypical. That's actually very normal for this time of year, but then it's going to drop back down into the 40s and 50s. So it is very, very unusual. And especially um, once you get to the northern part of our, or the middle part of our state north, they're still, you know, under snow cover and getting snow on a daily basis. So this is very unusual. Um, hey, somebody else is here. Oh, somebody else was here and then they, they left. So, um, but yeah, so what we're going to do today is get into, I already have the blog post ready to go. So it is the description for the show. Um, we're going to talk about propaganda. And there are some things that um, Zelensky is doing in the Ukraine that match very closely to some things that Franklin Delano Roosevelt did between uh, 1933 and 1945 with his fireside chats which was a very specific type of propaganda and identified three points that line up very closely. And then also one point that is significantly different. Um, and first of all, FDR's fireside chats from 33 to 45 were deemed extremely effective as a way to communicate with um, the American people um, there were other parts that went with that, which we'll get into. Um, so meaning that he communicated via radio, which was novel at the time. Uh, so you had to write opt-in, you had to gather around the radio. But the neat thing was you were hearing his fireside address at the same time everybody else was, including the Queen of England, right? So no one was getting this information before you. Everybody was getting it in real time. Um so in addition, um, you know, to that with the, with the fireside chats, and we're going to, you know, do some comparisons here to Zelensky. It's all pro Lemonton, eh, buddy? He's got his bike. Snowing here today, by the way. No biking. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for being here. Uh, so we're going to talk about Roosevelt's fireside chats, what they were, um, the fact that they went on for 12 years. So if you can, if you can get this to work, right, as a leader, as someone who's trying to persuade others, um, this was very, very um, effective. It's Mictivus. I've got some cold weather I can send your way, buddy. So just say the word. Um, yes, and I will send it your way. Um, so I was contacted um, about an hour ago by NBC News and the Today Show. So believe it or not. So I was thinking, oh, because of my book. And that wasn't it. <laughs> I recorded and posted like a 20-second video of it snowing in my backyard here in Wisconsin. And um, and they they 
I posted on Twitter and and then somebody from NBC and Today Show contacted me and said, could we use the video? Would you relinquish the rights, right? So we could use it. And I'm like, well, sure. (laughs) I have no intention for this video. Sure, go ahead and use it. And I thought, you know, it's not that much of a novelty up here to take a video of a snowy backyard. Although this time of year, it is, but I mean, just in general, it's not, but you know, no matter, I guess, depending where you're at, like, I don't know, New York or anywhere other than here, maybe um, it's a pretty big deal. So my video might be showing up on your news tomorrow morning. Um, so, or, you know, and so I'll get a kick out of that. I would guess they would probably put like s- submitted by, uh, I don't know, but it, I was like, well, Go for it. Go for it. I'm glad. It wasn't even, it it was a good video, but the snowflakes about five minutes before that were really, really big, which would have maybe made it a little more dramatic and and cool. But again, I I think if you're probably watching this, I hashtag it like Wisconsin and you're from a warm weather state and you see any type of snow, it's it's a pretty phenomenal thing. So big business saying, sure, if you only mention my book, yeah, I should have had my book out like on the Somewhere set up in in view um, over on a a bench or something like that. But, um, yeah. So, (laughs) always be closing. Yeah. Always be closing. Always be closing. So, yeah. Um, That's where I was thinking if they mentioned my name, right? But anyway, that's funny. Always be closing. Um, Glenn Gary, right? And so... A few things. Um, last Wednesday, I was I was up donating some books, and one was the library in my hometown where I, I grew up, which is a beautiful library built in 2010. And um, it was built on the location of the school that I attended. So I attended this very old K- K-8 school. It was torn down in, I don't know, what was it, 86, 87, somewhere around there. And then um, they built a new school in a different location, but where the pool, the the school was, right, orig- original school in this town, they built a Olympic-sized swimming pool, which was donated, an indoor pool, and then on the other part of this plot, this block, I guess, they built in 2010 a library, a uh, beautiful building, absolutely beautiful. So, like, the town I grew up in has a lot of really cool things for being a town of 1,500 people, <laughs> like... It really has a lot of assets um, and, you know, major growing industry and things like that. Um, you know, new buildings, new schools, everything going on. But um, so I donated a book to that library and then also to the neighboring library, which is a town of 40,000 people where I did college my first two years. So um, and I used to go and present at that library for a while for their staff professional development, the 40,000 um, people won. So, but yeah, donate a couple signed books and uh, that was cool. So, um, snowed in Maryland, not happy about it. I 60 shut down. Ooh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm with y'all, probably. This time of year, it's getting really long. In addition to the snow, we've had just cold weather. It has been one of the cold within the top five of the last 50 days of cold weather, and it could get down to number one. And there's probably a good chance it'll be like number two or number three for like the last 50 consecutive days. 
which is just crazy. Like I was out yesterday and I had on a wool peacoat, a winter peacoat stocking hat. I mean, it was just cold and it's windy. I mean, that's not, it's just cold and it's like 20, 30, 40 mile an hour sustained winds. So we've been in this real weird weather pattern. Um, and also with that, like rain and precipitation, probably every other, other day, but not accumulative snow because it's warm enough, like 33, 35 degrees where snow's not going to stay, but yet it should be like 60 degrees this time of year. So just really strange, um, but kind of like <laughs> wearing on me too, because I'm like, oh God, I mean, to be in a warmer weather climate, I could be out uh, biking and, you know, so many things right now that just are off the table. But um, but anyway, so yeah, my, I donated a few books. Uh, I also, on that Wednesday, my, um, my tailor or my seamstress um, passed away suddenly. And I had, I was wearing on that day, I was wearing the sport coat, which she um, two months ago shortened the sleeves on for me. So, yeah. And so that's a huge loss for us as a community. Just a really nice person, graduated high school here. I think she was 70 years old. Um, had this nice, you know, shop downtown, did all the tailoring that, you know, kids rented their tuxedos from her. And yeah. So, um, just a really sad, a sad thing, um, just suddenly. And and then um, Friday was a big day because I finished narrating School of Airs, uh, the, the audiobook version. So the sound editor is finishing it right now. I'm going to show you a clip of that in just a second here, um, just a one-minute clip. But um, it took us, I think, nine sessions, and maybe we record it for about two hours, you know, every session and there's breaks and stuff in there and things like that. But the final video or the final book will be about six hours long because, you know, there's stuff where we cut out, you know, basically like we'll re-edit. Re we'll have you do this over again, right? Um, and I'm not a smooth narrator. Like I got better and there were some sections which were really good, but it is a skill when you you know, when you listen to a professional narrator and also narrator who's an actor, um, there's there's something dynamic there that like I just it would I mean, I think I could get serviceable in that, you know, if I did like five to eight audiobooks. But since it's my own book, you know, <laughs> the 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 way that School of Errors, it was a weird deal on that. Like it wasn't originally released in audio and the only way that the publisher would allow that book to be released in audio and it came out in 2019 it's going to release in paperback this summer so it'll be out in all versions but then the audiobook the only way was if they if i narrated it so i don't know it's kind of a weird thing i i, I don't quite understand all of it but anyways uh, i said yeah i guess i that's i want it out there in audio so that's how it'll happen so I contacted, um, I found our local sound studio, uh, Nathan here at the Portage um, Soundworks, and he was terrific to work with. So I recorded the entire book, and then I have a copy to my left of the entire book in a three-ring uh, spiral, and then Nathan had the same exact in front of him. So I'd be in the booth, and he'd be listening, and I'd have had phone. He'd be able to tell me, okay, like, um, we need to redo that sentence, right? 
or hey you said it but you missed like you said r instead of in or something like that um so he's listening real time which took a while to get used to you know get a little <laughs> i was I, I shouldn't say it was freaked I was, it was just so unusual to be like in a booth and recording it's just i've never done that before and it's so different to read to narrate a book because if you're presenting right you're responding to people in real time and you know you're you're not following a word by word 60,000 word document and then um you know you get into a sentence and you'd realize oh like this should be narrated a different way there should be a different emphasis on this so i'd stop and say okay let me start back into that one and as you shift like quotations if you're quoting somebody like to do the pause and not necessarily to do a different voice but to do a pause and then to shift and do a little bit of a different style maybe a little bit faster or maybe a little bit softer right how you're presenting that so i learned a lot i learned a ton I think I could write down like 15 things that I learned, including like how to prep. I, I worked with my narrator friends who said, eat potato chips, right? Um, the oils help your vocal cords. And they did. Um, you know, I drank a ton of water. I brought a ton of water with me every 10 minutes. I took a water break. Um, and, and yeah, just how to mark up a manuscript to know where to take a breath because I had it on an iPad in front of me. And, you know, you could start to see, okay, I'm getting into a really long sentence. And then I also had words that were, you know, like six syllable words <laughs> in the book. So, you know, I'm pulling these out ahead of time and I'm practicing them because when you get into narrating, you want to make sure all of those are crisp. So I had my own word list. I was going through it. But anyway, Friday morning, we wrapped everything up, did the final, the final narration. And uh, it was, it was awesome to have it done. Hey, it's Alex Patino. Hey, buddy. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Um, so I wrapped everything up in studio, and now the sound editor is finishing rendering the files, so meaning cutting out my mistakes. <laughs> and and so when you listen to School of Errors, like it's going to sound very good, right? Um, because it's been edited extremely well. So I've been going through and listening, and he still has some chapters to go through. It's Cameron Sanchez. Hey, it's Cameron Sanchez. Hey, buddy. Um, so yes, yeah, so I've been going through and listening, and and um, you know, making sure everything is good. And then in the next couple of weeks, I'll have everything done, and I already have quite a bit of it uploaded to um, Find Away Voices, which is the distributor. And I completed the PDF companion document, which is maybe like 10, 11 pages. That has the citations in it, a couple of the images, and, um, like the whole table of contents and stuff like that. So I put together a really nice companion document without having any issues with um, copyright, like with my with a book. So um, I am really excited because I have a release date, I think, of July. But if I can get everything uploaded, I'll release it earlier. Um, you need to give about two weeks lead time for it to get out into places. So like you don't want to upload, you don't want to upload a book and then release it tomorrow um, because then it kind of, it messes things up because it'll be in some places, but not in others. So like audiobook, you want to give it like two, three weeks. So I still might stick with like my paperback comes out July 15th and I might just stick with that as July 15th being the date of the paperback and the audiobook coming out. Um, so I'm excited. It's a big accomplishment. I mean, there's kind of a legacy thing with that too, um, to have it out there forever in my voice. And with that said, 
And I signed a plaque. I have a 12 by 12 plaque of the book cover on my wall. And I had a second one made up and I signed the back of it. And the guy's uh, putting up in his studio, which is really cool. But I was, um, you know, when getting done with the books just so was, was such an accomplishment. And, uh, and yeah, having it out there and, and accessible and you can feel the energy, right? Like school of airs was written to be kind of a, a semi angry, um, <laughs> read, right? Like I'm kind of going after the industry in there and it's totally apparent, you know, when I'm narrating that. So, um, velocity of information on the other hand is being uh, professionally narrated and, that uh, part of the reason for that is that the contract allows for that. And the second is I have 10 interviews in that book and I don't know the nuances of, of reading and then reading through interviews, right. Of, of changing it. So it's, it's well enough to find where, you know, like it's not doc reading anymore. It is doc, but it's really like this person's voice. So I have an, uh, an actor who's a professional narrator and We've been working on prepping for this for like the last six months, and he's going to be recording it in the next 10 days. Um, so we have a meeting tomorrow, and I'm excited about that. It's a really good match for the book. And I owed it also to the people I interviewed to have it done professionally, where School of Errors was largely me, you know, kind of ranting to the world. Um, so if there were some foibles in that, right, I that could be, uh, you know, kind of... Uh, um, there was a tolerance for that within the listening audience, but um, I needed to go a different direction. I could have done a serviceable job, but I just thought it was better to, to do this route. Um, so I'm excited. Now, the, the weird part is like the book will be totally uploaded, ready on Findaway Voices probably in June, and it won't, Velocity of Information won't release as an audiobook until April 3rd, 2023 by contract. So it has to stagger. It has to be more than one year after my my paper, my the print version came out. So, but anyway, not a big deal. But uh, yeah, School of Airs will be out there. And um, I, I did um, the package where it makes it accessible to libraries and additional, you know, to Audible, Google, Scribd, all of those places. So, um, but here, let me get, let me show you guys uh, this clip right now. This was me. So we already finished, we had just finished things up and then I handed my phone over to the sound engineer and I said, here, record, let me just do like the last page. And it, again, we already recorded. This is the sound off of the phone, but this is what it, this is what it looked like um, when I did the very on Friday. This is, this is what it looked like. Describe the odor. Is it like when something electrical is burning and so on? Ridiculous, right? we don't shift the investigation to the reporter. But that's covertly what the school district thought needed to happen to prevent their investigation scrambling principles from burning out. And as this paragraph smolders, it would be prudent to consider bringing students with disabilities from the sidelines of safety and center them to active roles of detecting and reporting threats. So we had a rather difficult meeting. Upon due diligence of examining the reporting system, I informed the district representative that I could not justify modifications to the existing model as such changes would make the system less accessible to students. Well, that was a short chit chat. The district folks believed or hoped that the threat input system could be modified and maintained with fidelity. 
I wasn't in alignment with that hypothesis, and so I was thanked and given notice that our partnership would be over at month's end. Business is business, but in school safety, it's never as simple as that. So there you go. That was just a little clip he did with my phone. And then that is the actual uh, cover of the book um, that was made uh, for me. So very appreciative of that. Um, so yeah, that is all being um, uploaded right now, processed into Find Away Voices. And like I said, I completed the PDF com companion, which is really an outstanding document to go with that. Um, so yeah, just messed around a little bit, you know, and, and I did a little background music and put it together just to give people an idea. And I, I wanted a record of, you know, I spent so much time in that, that booth. Right. And of course the door was closed, like when I record stuff, but, um, I just wanted a record of what that was. So, um, I'm glad he recorded that. So it's a terrific guy and it's really a fascinating building. It's a good friend, Bacon Maldito from Inglewood. Bacon. Um, the building is around, was built around 1840, 1850, and um, it actually was the end of, of the block, like in the main downtown, and now it's like built out, and it's, it's really fascinating, though. And there are so many things in our downtown. We're the second oldest community in Wisconsin, so like the bank, you know, which was built around 1900. The third floor has a full, elaborate, pristine ballroom downtown, but it's not used anymore because you'd have to update it to fire code and other things. But it looks exactly like it did probably the last time it was used in 1960. The uh, building where I was recording, the recording studio, again, that's about 170 years plus old. Um, so if you go over two buildings, to the jewelry store, you know, which is another building from the 1840s, 1850s, they have a wheel upstairs. And if you turn this wheel, you could actually lower the floor, the second floor all the way down. And in winter, they used to bring cattle and stuff and, you know, cows into these buildings to heat them. So you'd have them on the first floor and you'd put your business. Strange stuff. Like, and, and the building right across from where I'm recording also has an entrance in the back where you'd bring in your horses in winter and they would heat the building. So again, we're talking like 1840, second oldest city here in Wisconsin. So, but there was a certain really cool ambiance to doing the recording in this very old building, right? Um, yeah, so, so yeah, everything was great about it. And my uh, technician just a, um, that I, or not technician, right? The audio engineer, the owner of the building, the owner of the business. Um, who's phenomenal, um, of helping me put all this together. So I'm like, oh my God, hey, it's Doc and Friends. Hey, it's Toy Tony. So, so, um, a few things at this point in the show. So, um, here's the, the first. So, School of Errors Rethinking School Safety America it does have 49 reviews out there. I don't know who will be the 50th, but they'll be an awesome person with 49 reviews on Amazon. So, I'm hoping we'll get 50 at some point. Um, this book is the one that I just got finished narrating on Friday. So this will be released in audio no later than July 15th. Narrated by me, professionally, you know, put together, narrated, distributed through um, Find Away Voices. So it'll be on Audible and the other places where you get audiobooks. Um, be about six hours long. And then um, 
the paperback of this also releases July 15th. So it's a fascinating read, right? It's very relevant and especially the 9-11 Harbor Rescue, a couple chapters on that, but School of Errors. And my new book here, which released on April 1st, The Velocity of Information, has held down the number one spot for new releases in a couple categories for the last 18 days. This has been selling really well. It's been selling very strong internationally, like half the sales are coming from overseas. So, you know, like Britain, um, Germany, and uh, this is phenomenal. This is an awesome book. This one is being professionally narrated actually in the next 10 days by um, an actor and a narrator who I cannot identify until the book comes out by contract. But this book actually will be completely ready to go in audiobook, but will not be released as audiobook until April 3rd, 2023. However, School of Errors again will be out um, this summer. But, oh, my God, this book is is awesome, right? Uh, 471 in notes, 10 really cool stories. And and as you read this, people will email me right now. They'll be like, this is, this is exactly what's happening. Like, you're, you're talking about, you know, the essential versus non-essential versus inessential and, and where things were going with, um, you know, the velocity of information and sharing information back and forth and um, people and mask, right? Like, I... And, and said in here, you know, once the mask mandates go away, there'll still be people who will choose to wear masks for, you know, various reasons. And um, this is, I think the part of velocity of information is, again, it's how you identify intelligence from information. It's how you build your member check, it, which can be just five people. You can hugely increase the accuracy of the information that you receive if you if you are working with about five people who are outside of your area, right? If there are five people in your house, that's not going to help you out. Um, and, and but then also to understand um, kind of how contemporary propaganda works. It's all in here. So this book is phenomenal. If you don't own it, please, 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 please get it. Um, so Mictibus is saying, I cannot confirm or deny the Joe Dolio chapters narrated by Sylvester Stallone. Oh my goodness, there are, there are two Joe Dolio chapters. One is um, Finding Indicators with Joe Dolio, and the other one is uh, The Member Check Network. Yeah, Sylvester Stallone. And in, in the movie version of this, um, Dolph Lundgren is going to play Joe Dolio. So, um, yeah. So I, it, it's really off to a great start. I, I checked um, because I've been posting the uh, the newspapers that it's been a, appearing in, right? or, you know, their online versions or whatever. So first of all, the Associated Press release came out last Monday. And now it is in, and I have a report on this, and I don't know, hundreds of newspapers, like even newspapers around me, um, you know, picked it up and ran with it. So, um, and I've been sharing quite a bit of that in Twitter. Like I'll go in and say, you know, here it was and whatever, you know, the Beloit Daily News or, um, the Tallahassee star, whatever it is. And, and so, I mean, that of course is, is, um, fueling, you know, really strong sales of the book too, but for SEO, it's just absolutely been on fire. So I'm really, really happy with that. So yeah, those are, those are kind of the big things, uh, big things happening. So welcome to our friend, uh, uh, here bacon. And, uh, I don't, I don't have, I don't have that clip where it was snowing in my backyard, but you've 
you can imagine what snow looks like. And again, I was contacted this afternoon by um, somebody from ABC or not ABC, somebody somebody from NBC. I don't know if NBC is like Good Morning America or whatever it is, or or how's it going today or whatever their morning show is. But they said, "Hey, like we we would love to use this video. Can we do that?" And I'm like, "Sure." <laughs> so and in perpetuity, right? And like use it forever. So go for it. So it's my my backyard. So go for it. Um, yeah. So it's been good. And let's see. So I got a fire going upstairs to keep the house warm. Um, other than that, pretty pretty typical stuff here. Just it's it really is more like I wouldn't even say it's a March like more like March eighteenth. It's more like a March first than it is an April eighteenth. We're so far behind in warm weather. Um, it's really weird. Um, this is a really odd year. Like I remember. You know, I remember April, you know, 18th, you know, would be like what um, Earth Day type stuff, Earth Day activities, where it'd be like 80 degrees out and sunny. So, which is not the case now. Um, so, let us get over to our show topic. And by the way, like, um, I have some books back here. This isn't showing up, my cursor, but. I have some books next to the guitar that I still need to sign and get out. Two of those are for my daughters. <laughs> so those will just get delivered to where they are, their places on the kitchen table. And I have a couple of those that uh, are, these are all family uh, books over here. And then I have my display books over here. So, um, yes. So if you have received a book, by the way, and I know some of you here in the chat have, please leave a review on Amazon. That's a big plus for me. And in addition to leaving a review, because I really got into the SEO stuff with this book, that's one of the reasons why with the podcast, everything is the velocity of information, right? I see the, the orbs are going through the screen right now, but um, to build up the SEO. But when you take a picture of the book and you post it along with a review, so you don't have to have a picture of you in the book. You can have a picture of the book sitting next to steak dinner or, you know, the book outside on a bench or, you know, whatever. Um, it increases the SEO significantly and the Amazon review stuff. So if you do post a review um, of the book, please take a picture of it and just a kind of a fun picture of, you know, again, something that's upbeat or, or a little bit fun or quirky or something like that, you know, of, you know, where you want to put the book and, and go for it. Like uh, someone emailed me and said, Hey, like I've got an outdoor pool and it's sunny here. So like, I'll take a picture of the, of the book by a pool chair with like, you know, sunny day. I'm like, well, yeah, like that'll make everybody feel good. Like, right. Because of sunny vibes, stuff like that in the book. So whatever you want to do. Um, so yeah, go for it. But I do know some of you here have received the book. So let's go back to the title of today's show. All right, there it is. Uh, Zelensky, so President Zelensky. Um, so the show title is Propaganda Clone, How Zelensky Modernized FDR's Fires at Chat. So let's talk about what that is. So obviously we know President Zelensky, Ukraine, and 
this really gets in, into a few things. One is he uh, he's been he's been doing a strategy for his communications to his his countrymen, right? That very close, very closely mirrors what FDR did. It's not a one to one, but there it's very close. He's being coached. He's following a very specific propaganda uh, strategy on this, and it's working very well for him. So we're going to get into what that is, and um, and it comes right down to like you know why is it that most of the times when he presents, he's wearing a green Henley right <laughs> instead of a suit, um, and why you know why is it that you know these these videos aren't longer that he's putting out? So well, there's a reason for that. So we're going to get into those things today. And he's also doing a couple things that I think are mistakes um, for propaganda, right? So propaganda is to, one, try to persuade a position, and the second has a morale component to it. So I'm going to point out all those today. I already have the in the description here, but I'm going to uh, start out here by reading between 1933 and 1944, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt delivered 31 evening radio addresses to ameliorate the fears and concerns of the American people, as well as to inform them of the positions and actions taken by the U.S. government. So in 1933, again, Roosevelt's first fireside chat. Before that, nothing like that. You had to go to where a president was was presenting, right? Giving a speech is kind of a stump speech, right? Wherever the president was, you had to go there. You had to physically be there. And now, starting 1933, you just had to be in front of your radio and listening at a certain time when this was going to happen. So this was a big, big, big change. A lot of people before 33 had never heard, right, their president um, speak. So, okay. So the addresses were both novel and sticky. I mean, novel was it was a new way to address people, and sticking meaning he did this from 1933 to 44. A lot of cam um, campaign uh, propaganda campaigns last for one to three months, and maybe you can get a year out of them. I wrote about that in the velocity of information. So, like to do this for 11 years is phenomenal. So ranging from 11 to 44 minutes, these informal addresses resemble a pull-up-your-chair fireside chat atmosphere more than a formal projection originating behind an ordained podium. This episode, Doc, who's me, examines FDR's fireside chats as he impacts them for messaging strategies during uncertain times in his book. So I wrote about this in, in the Velocity of Information. So, hey, it's our good friend, CNT Designs and Arms. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Asking a Bugs Bunny voice. I am I am doing well. It's good to see you. So hey, good, good, good. Um, so yeah. Well, welcome, buddy. Um so I'm going to note how Zelensky's President Vladimir Zelensky um, has managed to modernize the propaganda formula that was a resounding success for FDR. So, right, a few things. Again, Zelensky presents, and most of the time he has on the green button-down Henley, the, the kind of military issue Henley, instead of wearing a suit. And he's giving shorter presentations, and he's using very common language, which is addressing 
more or less your emotions and feelings versus technically what is happening. So um, let's get into this. So the first um, Roosevelt's fireside, um, I'm going to do a book read on this too. So um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt's presidency stands out, not only for its duration, but also for the challenges he and America faced from 33 to 45, 1933 to 45. From the Great Depression to World War I, and also within that was the Dust Bowl, right? Um, the enormity of these two challenges, but especially the Depression, which welcomed FDR to office, forced him to the radio airwaves early and often in his now famous fireside chats. The fireside chat was the creation of a White House aide who said, hey, we can do radio. We can set you up on radio. We can have you address the nation. How about it? He's like, well, sure, you know. So he didn't do this next to a fire, <laughs> a fireplace, right? But this was the the portrayal, right? It, it was very informal of, you know, hello, my friends, or good evening, my friends. And, and he would specifically choose a very easygoing set of words, um, very easy to understand, right? So, and he would keep things um, kind of short duration. So 11 to 40 four minutes. So um, the idea was that beaming the president's words live from his house to yours, unfiltered by timer editors, would allow unprecedented intimacy between the president and the public. So yeah, to many, the Great Depression confirmed what they had suspected all along. Individuals no longer mattered in the new economic order. So, so think about the novelty of this, right? The Hey, it's MK Joe. Welcome, buddy. And uh, yeah, MK Joe. So the novelty of this, in 1933, to hear President Roosevelt on your radio, that had never happened before from any other president, right? Before 33, if you were going to listen to a president, you had to, to go where the president was, where they were giving a speech. And now um, it was coming live into your home. But like, you know, you couldn't play it again, right? There was no way to record it. And it was a certain time, but you were hearing it at the same time that the Queen of England might be hearing it, right? So, and, and so this was really a big thing that the president was going to address you. So, um, the first fireside chat. The first fireside chat went out live just eight days after FDR's inauguration on March 12th, 1933. You start with, I want to talk for a few minutes with the people of the United States about banking. So, again, very easygoing, not complicated. And it's kind of like, again, imagine all of us are around a fireside, you know, a fire pit, and he's talking to us about this stuff. He's not going to make it overly complicated. Um, but he's basically saying, hey, I want to talk to you about banking. Because at that time, there were bank runs. You know, people, there were bank holidays shutting down the banks because, uh, you know, the great instability in the financial um, institutions in the country. Not much unlike today, but um, fireside chats. Okay, so we're the... First, media events, live, pre-planned, extraordinary broadcasts that riveted the attention of the nation in American history, writes Professor David Reif. Roosevelt often used the you form. Reif continues throughout the chats. He's concerned to tell you, interest you, make it clear to you, and make you understood. So again, kind of like I did in right, my first book, um, School of Errors, is I wrote it to you, the reader. 
And so Roosevelt would often say, you, like, you know, as, you know, my fellow Americans, and, and you see this uh, in your, you know, towns, and, and you are experiencing, you know, this with your banks. And when you're experiencing this, when you're trying to, you know, buy things at your, or, you know, stores and, and stuff. Can we frame this back in the 33 year? You know, you, you are feeling, you know, these things as we approach war. So, um, you know, back then, very genuine. And there's a high level of trust in American citizens and their president, especially when he's addressing them. Something that Roosevelt did in here, which I want to mention that, um, you know, no other president has done. I guess Carter tried to do it, but, but I mean, really, Roosevelt also said, hey, like, send me a letter. Tell me what's going on in your life so I have a better understanding so I can be a better president for you. And he would get 8,000 letters a day. And a lot of those are archived in the Smithsonian. Um, and I wrote about that in the Velocity of Information, how back in the 30s and early 40s, to be able to write your president with the thought that he's actually going to read this, right? Um and who knows? But I mean, a lot of these people did receive responses, and some of these he read on the air. But, but there was there was a thought, and there's more to that. There's a cathartic exercise of writing, um, of of writing to the president. Right? You actually have physically like do that. And there's also this this sense of moving through chaos. There's this your time state. Right? You're writing something in time. You're getting it to the president. So I thought that was extremely valuable, and I think we should have more of that today. What it would end up being, though, is like they'd be like, well, go online and submit on this web page, right, to whitehouse.gov, and then, you know, maybe the president will get it. So it wouldn't have the same impact. This is our good friend, um, CNTU, saying, hey, Safety Act School, there's a great read, brother. Thank you. Appreciate it, brother. And uh, I'm going to put this book up again. This book um, is in hundreds of libraries across the world. I narrated all of this book. I completed it last Friday. It's currently being um, edited and rendered by the sound engineer. It will be out no later than July 15th, probably before that. And you get to hear the punchiness here of Doc. Um, and and so it is fun because there's a lot of energy that I that I have in this book, which comes right out at the at the reader, especially uh, you know some of the chapters where I'm calling out some of the institutions and stuff. So narrated by me. Um, you know, and Audible and, you know, the other places. It's distributed by Find Away Voices. But that will be out no later than July 15th, probably before that. So uh, excited about that. And then it's also coming out in paperback in summer. So um, I'm always impressed that at 9 p.m. you are throwing on a suit and tie. <laughs> I don't have a tie. I appreciate it, though, Guns Barbecue. I don't have a tie. This is a $7 sport coat I got at Goodwill, uh, which I, I have worn many times to already get it $7 out of it. But, um, and I have a sport coat, but I do just have my Levi's on and a uh, ton of shoes and I don't have a laced, but uh, I appreciate it. Guns of Barbecue, I sent you an email, by the way. So hopefully you did get it. So if you can check that out, I appreciate it. And check out our good friend Guns of Barbecue who does a very regular uh, podcast. Um, and then also has the best gosh darn thumbnails in the world. And was a guest on this show not too long ago where we were talking about how truckers uh, really um, just did not get <laughs> a sliver of the respect they deserved during the pandemic and uh, and how that could have been remedied. Um, and then also the big infrastructure bill that comes out 
And truckers are like, hey, like, you know, one of the biggest things you could do for us is to give us more places to uh, to park our trucks and to sleep overnight, right? And it wasn't anywhere in the bill, which is just ridiculous. So, but that was a terrific show with the guns and barbecues. So check back in the safety doc, safetyphd.com, and you will find that show. Um, there we go. There we go. Um, safety doc, I will get your, your book on audio too, just yeah. Thanks, buddy. You know, it was a tough call for CNT. So I'll admit it was tough to, um, well, first of all, the only way I could narrate School of Errors was if I did it by contract with my publisher, because we never had the audio rights delineated in there. And um, so eventually I kept going back and saying, I want to do this in audio, I want to do this. And they said, okay, but you have to narrate it, I'm like, I guess. But um, Philosophy of Information is being narrated right now over the next 10 days. That is a professional narrator, a professional actor who's on TV series. I can't name who it is um, until it comes out. But in that, I could have narrated the velocity of information, but I could not have done the, I, I couldn't have done justice to what the the professional narrator and actor will do. Um, and one of the big reasons in that is it has 10 interviews. And I figured, you know, the people I interviewed in this really put a lot of trust into me. They're people that don't give interviews very often, right? So when I wrote, I mean, everything is, is spot on, really, really well done. But when I narrate, I don't want it to to not, I want to have it narrate the absolute best it can be for uh, multiple interviews, multiple kind of voices coming in. Not that this person is going to do different voices, but there's so much that goes into that, right? Like I'm not an actor, I'm not a professional narrator. So I was thrilled to to work this out. But yeah, School of Errors, that is me punching right straight forward at the uh, safety industry. And you will love it. And it's, it's really, again, it's professionally engineered. It's really well done. Recorded that in a sound studio. So, um, and I'm making that one very affordable. Very, very aff affordable, right? Um, but you will, yeah, I mean, if you got six hours and you want to listen to it, it's good stuff. So, um, hey, it's a good friend. Andrew! I don't get the girls. Good business idea. Oh my God, Andrew. I don't know. I don't know. Good business. Good business idea. So, man. Well, I still think a good business idea is, I think there's two good business ideas. One is, <laughs> this is a probably a big startup cost, right? Buy a, buy a gasoline truck where you deliver to like farms and stuff and start delivering to people. So say, hey, instead of like going to a gas station, running the risk of of having your vehicle carjacked, I'll deliver the gas to you for a certain surcharge. I bet you in certain cities that would that'd be very popular. So that is my first thing. And the second thing is um, I think teachers, um, especially chemistry, math, things like that, are if you if you were like a agent, show me the money. If you're an agent and and you represent it. Um, so many teachers and, and basically you said, you know, whatever your contract I can get you, like I get a cut of percentage of that. I think as an agent for teachers, that could be a very lucrative business. <laughs> so I think both those things are out there. And if you want to get at the head of curve of safety, school safety and trying to figure out deep fakes or deep fake education, that's wide open. That's going to be crazy. CT said, drivers sure as hell don't get the respect they deserve. No, they never have. And, and I, I'm really upset by that. And you know, I did a show on it. 
I mentioned it in uh, velocity of information, essential versus non-essential. You know, we offloaded our risk onto um, truck drivers. And it was only Arizona that kept a couple waysides open for very limited hours. And they actually took waysides that had been closed and they opened them up again for truckers to go to. And But, you know, you didn't have a National Guard providing food and, um, you know, um, meals and things like that to truckers. We should have done all of that. And these communities could have gotten into it. Where I live, we are on a major interstate and we have a fairgrounds, right? It's a county seat. The fairgrounds has a lot of area. Um, you could have had 30, 40, you know, semis parked there for a day or two, right? Because rest stops were closed. I mean, this stuff was doable. Nobody thought of it or nobody wanted to do it. But I think it really goes back to a National Guard type level of just of, um, you know, like kind of a state level. States could have, federal should have done something, but even states could have stepped up. You know, like Arizona kind of stepped up. But, and I think communities would have gotten behind this big time. Yeah, so that's the episode with um, Guns and Barbecue. We talked about this. So I'm, it, I'm really frustrated um, because I would have been one of these people to do this. Yeah, and that was one of the reasons I ran for um, city council when I did not, I didn't get elected, but um, I was, <laughs> that was one of the things, right? I was saying we where we were located as a community, we could have done significantly more. I mean, we have, again, the interstate goes right through our community um, of organizing and maybe, maybe it's brown bags for truckers for a month or two. And who knows what goes into that, right? I don't know. As, um, you know, Guns of Barbecue, we talked, you know, maybe some plastic utensils, maybe, you know, wet wipes, um, maybe a card, a thank you card, maybe um, some, you know, books on tape type thing or, near, you know, that's on a thumb drive or something. You know, we, we had some ideas. I mean, it made sense. And you could have done all of this and you did it. So, yeah. Um, but. This is, hey, Guns. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for that, uh, Guns of Barbecue. Yeah. So I'm hovering at 49 reviews with School of Airs. And uh, I got two, there's two up there for Velocity of Information. Velocity of Information is being picked up everywhere, like Paris News. And so it's like getting so much energy right now, but only has like two reviews. And it's holding down a number one spot in Amazon in two categories for like 18 days. Like, it was like sales are great, but like no one's posting reviews yet. So I'm like, Come on, like I know the book is out there, and I know you know people that have the books. So I'm like, get some reviews up there. Um, CT Designs uh, these days not, at least was nice when it did though. Yeah, I think truck drivers are for bacon. This is Andrew. He came in a strong second place. Be probably yeah. There were only two people running, so and I don't know how strong of a second place I came in because I think I got like 35 percent of the vote. But tomorrow night is actually the swearing in of the new older person. So. But it's okay. I mean, I it, it is it is what it is. Um, and it, it like I said, it was a a um, uh, you know a clean campaign, you know, with my opponent and me. So I think both of us, you know, would have done a good job. And I said that to my opponent when we had the forum or the debate. So, um, but yeah, and it's kind of like retrospect now, you know, like things that could have been done. And actually, in the moment, I wish I would have been, I would have acknowledged that more and uh, and done more. Um, I just didn't, right? Um, but 
So anyway, going back to like, you know, truck drivers and things that could have been done to support truck drivers, even from there are certain West uh, wayside stations, which a national guard might keep open and people could, you know, donate things there. And, you know, there could be some hot meals, there could be laundry or, you know, right. Like there could be some, some laundry service that could be done and things like that. Things that were very doable. We did not treat truck drivers at all the way we should have during the pandemic and other times too, but during the pandemic, especially. Um, and that's where, you know, there's this big contrast in velocity of information where I had the, the chapter about nurses and how we did parades for nurses. We would, we would demand that the police departments put on these parades for nurses, you know, and, and doctors and, and medical coming in and the police department, like when I wrote about it, like Detroit, they're like, we're down, like, you know, half our staff are out. So yet, like they're doing these parades, healthcare heroes, and it's like healthcare heroes. Okay. But where's the parade for the semis coming into town, right? Or, you know, the, the, you know, putting together these waysides. So when truck drivers come in, you know, they're greeted and thanked and, you know, thank you so much for doing this right now, for bringing in the items to our community. Um, when, you know, so many places are closed down and you're distanced from your family and stuff. And I mean, I, I wrote a really good blog post about that. I feel really strongly about it. And it bothers me. And it, it really, really bothers me that there wasn't a national campaign. And again, I, I didn't get into it in velocity of information, like this whole campaign that should have happened for truck drivers because it, it didn't fit that book. It's mentioned in there. Um, but it is completely there of like when you got declared essential, non-essential, essential, um, some of essential got got split into, you know, you're working in a grocery store, we'll give you $2 an hour more to stock shelves, you're essential. And then also truck drivers will shut all the bathrooms down, the waysides and places to eat and just kind of good luck, do your job, which was crazy and embarrassing that we did that. And again, you know, the capacity for, now if you would have had, say, National Guards at a, at a, a state level, Put up some of these areas. Maybe it wasn't necessarily waysides. Maybe it's going to be some of these fairgrounds, right? If they're located by interstates or things like that. I mean, it, it, it's not impossible to do any of this stuff. And then um, people would have done this. Like people were rallying and 3D printing parts for, you know, ventilators and masks and stuff like that. You could have had other ways that people would have rallied. And again, I, I think of, it just comes to mind. I think of this brown paper bag you know, this regular grocery, larger bag. And you would have had things in there for your truck drivers, including a note from either, you know, students, well, you know, working at home or whatever, or people or people at churches, whatever. And a handwritten note, thank you for doing what you're doing. Doesn't have to be, you know, whatever. We appreciate it. And then some things inside of it. What that would have meant and what that would have just showed as a society. And um, not only compassion, it's not just compassion. These are people who are keeping everything going, right? And, and just the way that, that we had this hubris to treat truck drivers was insane. It's embarrassing. So I don't know. I'm really angry about that. So let's go back here. So let's go to the chat. Ironic um, that the people with the God complexes demanded all the praise, isn't it? Yeah. Mictibus, you're right on with that. And I wrote about it in the velocity of information. Um, and it goes right up to, it goes through several levels of, of government and and, and um, through careers and stuff like that. But people of God complexes centered that praise to themselves, right? And 
Um, and the thing with the the, the nurse, um, the what happened with the nurses is there are levels where either internally, and I think internally, right? The nurse.org is one I wrote about, but the nurse, um, the nurses should have monitored that and should have should have reflected that back to right the maybe other people in the hospital or who are doing things right the the maintenance workers the people bringing in the semi drivers bringing in the essential stuff like always reflect it out to others like keep reflecting it was so it was so odd and so weird and you're and again this whole dichotomy in the chapter or and early on i wrote essential non essential so a terrific chapter but again the demand put on the, for example, Detroit Police Department to do these parades when they were substantially disrupted, you know, like, you know, half half the staff really kind of being being out. And then because it was COVID, right, you had to separate, you couldn't have police officers in proximity to each other because to early stages, like if the, one was positive, another, you know, you, so to say, no, you're going to do these parades. And the reason, and you could do parades, right? You could do community parades and maybe some, you know, positionality to show like our big equipment or fire trucks to to show people that we're still strong as a country. But that wasn't what this was about. And it really has a weird tone to it. Um, and I think I think nurses collectively needed to, or the medical profession needed to enter this conversation early on and say, we appreciate this. And we are, you know, um, taking this uh, spotlight and turning it over to, again, our truck drivers and to the store workers and whatever. Like, it's nothing they should have held on to. And it just was really weird. And that's very explicit in the in the chapter, right? And I know there's people who are going to be really offended by that chapter. And... That, that writing that chapter is going to write there that it's just it, there'll, there'll be people who will be like well you got to be crazy right like this this was all earned it was all deserved stuff like that but it doesn't work that way um it was it was really off-putting and it, I have it thoroughly documented and also like a nurse who challenged it who then lost her license her state license and then went back and cited like that she lost her license and then when it had been re uh, reinstated by the state. Um, so I don't know. Looking back, I, I didn't catch it at the time. Uh, this is big. Um, the, the TikTok video from Rally here. So yeah, that was, the, you know, and what other professions did that, right? So we didn't see that from, dock workers from, you know, we, we didn't see it in other professions, at least where it got centered and highlighted that much. And it, it just is, was so off-putting. Um, I can guess, you know, I guess anybody could do that, but we didn't see it from teachers. We didn't see it from truck drivers, right? We didn't see it necessarily from firefighters or EMS. I mean, there might be some, right? You could say there's some, but generally as a profession, it wasn't only that. It was at the profession itself, like nurse.org, back this and came out and said, this is a good thing, you know. And it's like, no, it's not a good thing. If things are generally as dire uh, as what you say, it's, and I had a relative who was, 
you know, in a care facility at that time, which, you know, I was unable to see, this is really just weird as a profession to do this. So it didn't sit well with me. It still doesn't sit well with me. Um, and, and again, if we look across these industries, it really was there. And that's where the media focused. Um, I don't think it was professional. I think it was very off-putting. Um, there should have been people within the profession who stood up um, quickly on this and said, hey, like we, we get it. We are trying to do things to break up finite voltage, break up the burnout, but tactfully um, let's refrain from this or let's focus this back into right the other or the families who are coming to, um, you know, or, or people who are 3D printing parts, which I wrote about, you know, the 3D community, the came forward and, you know, we're printing masks and printing parts for ventilator. Like, let's throw some spotlight on them. Um, so, I swear, like, my heart rate goes up. You guys shave, shave years off my life, but that's all right. <laughs> um, as my accountant said, like, it's better to, to, like, live a full life now than to, like, think you're going to be, like, saving and, you know, live carefully and do assaults. Then 85, you'll like be doing all these things. Not going to happen. Um, so CNT, for the love of, of that's holy, ignore the chat. <laughs> you know, we ain't writing it. Uh, I know you guys are great. So CNT arms, let's go down here. I wonder where everybody was. It started there's one person here tonight. It's like, what did I do? So it's normal show time. Um, This is Andrew Dachau. I'll buy 10,000 year books in the Powerball tonight. Good. Keep playing. And I'll mail every, to every taxpayer except for California and New York. Right. Yeah, California and New York. You're right. Don't. Although, like Brian Bowden in the Bronx is in the book, and he's from uh, the Bronx. So, but uh, yeah, center more like on Florida, South Dakota, Idaho. So, I um, appreciate it, buddy. So, it's, in, it's interesting to see where the velocity of information is, is appearing. I only have like a, a small segment I can see. And it's half of the book sales are overseas. So, um, which is interesting. And actually I've heard that audiobook sales will be stronger overseas than they will be domestically. And so it's just kind of one of those things. It's not a bad thing. It's just kind of just a factual thing. Uh, CNT designs from the IBTC to the, yes, I love me some TikTok. So <laughs> I get a kick out of that. Uh, the truth will always offend. This is Mixbis. I have family in the med industry. It's been a woke mess for decades. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, when I wrote that chapter about the, the TikTok dances and and the nurses, but then I mean, there's there's more in it than that, right? There's the fact that police departments were told, you know, by their city councils and mayors, right, to to do these parades, and they're like, hey, <laughs> like we are significantly down on staff, but they're like, no, you've got to do this, and it was again, it wasn't a parade for civilian morale because that would have been a parade going through your town. This was a parade for specific workers. So there's a lot of this forensically. And what's interesting is 
how quickly this gets erased, right? And people don't remember it this way, but I wrote about it explicitly, excited and incited it explicitly. So I have the numbers, like I can tell you that, you know, when this parade happened in Detroit, what percentage of the police department was out because of COVID or other things, like how damaged the integrity of the, the workforce was at the moment they were also asked to do this. Like I have all of that down. So um, I, when I wrote it, I never thought about not writing it or measuring it, right? Um, but I did know like there would be people who'd read that and that would, they couldn't get behind the book after that, right? And it's about halfway in um, because it's just this, you know, some people are just in that positionality, they're in the mindset where no, this was well-deserved and, you know, you're taking the wrong approach on this. And it's like, so, okay. But I mean, it's a truthful, this, what I wrote authentically happened, right? And you cannot argue that other industries um, did, did a similar, um, you know, TikTok video type thing, right? Um, it, or that it was received with, you know, the, these parades and things like that. It just wasn't there. And I think, again, the medical industry and especially, you know, nursing had a chance to stand up and to, to say, we appreciate this, but we need to broaden this. Um, and, and then also, you know, these videos as people had families that they, the family members, they couldn't see for months or a year who died, um, you know, because it, it, you know, it, and they were unable to be with them, especially elderly. I mean, it, it was, it was, tone deaf to do these, these dances. So yeah. Um, teachers were at home. So no TikTok. Te yeah. Some teachers did these, you know, kind of parades and stuff for a little while, but it was, it was nothing, nothing like the, the nurse stuff. So this is CNT safety doc. There were doctors that challenged the, the COOF and showed how they were saving patients. They got fired their social credit media or social media shutdown. I heard about that. Yeah. Yes, I also know um, with the different type of mandates, uh, there were a number of uh, medical staff fired and there were um, hospitals I would drive by and there would be nothing on the news, nothing. And there would be physicians outside for blocks holding signs or, you know, indicating, hey, like this is, you know, my last week or whatever. And yeah, so, you know, forensically, when we go back, I'll just a lot of these things won't appear because they were never documented in the first place. Um, Safe Doc, have you seen my sh on my share of the pain streams? I have not, but please make me aware of that or send me an email to hone me in on that. It's Robert Ribbit Harrison, our zero weight oil buddy. Sorry, Doc, I'm busy. Glad to catch you. Appreciate you, buddy. We've uh, got zero weight oil in, in the new vehicle. It had its first oil change and it's running well now. Can, you can immediately tell with zero with mobile one zero weight you gain one to two miles per gallon instant right off the bat switching so um but yeah going well um so yeah hey it's our good friend um Vanessa Kitty and this second here bacon CTD um reminds me of that nurse who night and morning call natural DD don't know. I don't know. Vanessa, can you, hey Vanessa. I hoping all's all by hoping all's all by you. It's very cold here, and it's snow today. And um, NBC um, comp 
like national NBC, I, I threw up a video this afternoon I took of it snowing outside in my backyard. <laughs> I put it Wisconsin's a hashtag and then I got contacted by NBC and they said, could we use this video for like, you know, NBC this morning and NBC? I'm like, yeah, whatever you want. It's yours. Um, so I might, you might see like, here was snow in Wisconsin submitted by whoever. But so we talked about these fireside chats with um, FDR from 33 to 44. And they were very successful because people had to listen. They had to get to their radio, right? And there was no replay. And so, but let's talk about what Zelensky is doing now um, in Ukraine. So I just got a, a, I have three points I want to bring up. So one of the things is Zelensky is being um, coached on propaganda. And he's being coached very well on this. So one of the things I specialize in is propaganda. I was on Council for Future Conflict. I talked about propaganda. And I'm, I'm kind of like now centering in all of my efforts on propaganda. So I think if I did another book, I would do it more specific to propaganda. You know, and we I did this with Facebook Validity Fridays for a while, right? So... But um, but to really get into propaganda, really to, to pick it apart, just kind of like, you know, right here with um, um, this is Edward Bernays uh, propaganda. So, which is a nice, came out in 28, it was updated, I think in 50 or 55. But um, so here's a few things. So again, FDR, 1933 through 34, the country is in the Great Depression, heading in, into World War II giving these speeches where he's saying, you know, my fellow Americans and you, you are enduring this never got complicated during the speeches. Let's talk about Zelensky. So what Zelensky is doing right now is when he presents Zelensky, a is talking, talk about the particulars, not the mechanics. So during the 1933 banking crisis, so back in 1933, there are bank runs in the U S a lot of banks collapsing, things like that. Bank holidays, you couldn't go to your bank and be closed by the federal government. So FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he didn't speak at lengths, um, explaining the banking holiday, closed banks. But instead, so he didn't say, like, we have to do this with banks. and Otherwise, here's how a banking system works. What he did was he he talked for, like, 11 to 44 minutes. He talked to you, and he, he would talk about American fortitude. And this is, I know this is an inconvenience for you. This is a hardship for you. You've endured these closed banks. It's changed your schedule, your routine, you know, your inability to access your, your money. I understand, you know, what you. So is this you? So he's not talking about the specifics of the banking thing. He's talking about how it's affecting you. So getting you at an emotional level. So Zelensky does the same thing. He appeals to emotion, strength, and allegiance, even if he seemingly enrolls allies that are not formally allies, such as NATO. So now, like, FDR didn't really do that. <laughs> FDR would take shots at Hitler a lot in his fireside chat. So if you go back and listen, it's kind of interesting. But FDR did not um, try to align other countries with the U.S., right? It was He was talking to you, the citizens. So here's one thing that's different. So while Zelensky had his first speeches, which were directed at Ukrainians, the speeches he gives now are directed at NATO and the U.S., and kind of the world, right? So He's he's changed that, and he's trying to like make it sound like, you know, um, NATO is is somewhat allied with Ukraine, although that's not exactly accurate. Although it's not exactly false, <laughs> because right, U.S. is providing goods into 
Poland and, and NATO is providing, you know, NATO countries are providing things and it's coming over into Ukraine. But anyway, um, so here's the first thing is that he's talking and he's trying to get the emotions of, of people, right? He's not talking about specific details like this campaign or like, you know, this number of tanks or missiles or whatever. He's kind of leaving that. Um, so he avoids updates on the specifics. So he's not trying to tell you like, here's how things are going with the campaign. He's just saying, but he also doesn't soften the, the devastation. So B, short duration speeches. FDR, um, his fireside chats were between 11 and 44 minutes. So most, again, very short, very short speeches. This kept his message relevant without becoming rambling and redundant. During chaotic times, people have less tolerance and information processing capacity for long-winded messaging. So you want to be very to the point, right? And especially FDR only had radio. Zelensky has video. You can see him, right? But you want to keep it short, which Zelensky does. So that's some more coaching, right? Keep a very short message, very short snippets, because people today are used to TikTok videos. They're used to, you know, something that's being tweeted out. So they're not used to consuming a lot of information um, all in one sitting. So Zelensky has that figured out really well. Um, so, yeah. Um, C, consistency. FDR spoke in plain language. If you go back and look at the words FDR used, you know, he's speaking about a fifth grade level. He's He didn't also have um, walk-up promotion, meaning like, you didn't have somebody saying, oh, and now the president of the United States who's done this and this and this and this, and, you know, and whatever, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. It was just him. Zelensky um, does a, the similar thing. Very, very common language. Um, recognizable visuals when he's out. FDR, of course, didn't have that. But um, his green Henley shirts, right, that he's doing, which are, are mirroring military issue, right, Um Green also being a very earthy, very genuine color. Orange is being more chaotic, you know, the green being more of the earth. So very strategic that you continue to wear that, right? Because the guy has suits. He's not a billionaire, isn't he? But um, but the way that he does the green Henleys is very similar to the way that FDR speeches from day the first one to the last one had the same vernacular, the same language, the same vocabulary. Um, very reachable by his constituents. So same thing that Zelensky is doing. So messaging, Zelensky is doing the same thing. Short messaging, very to the point, um, not getting into the specifics. Um, and also, again, his visual messaging, right? Wearing the green Henleys. That's right out of the FDR playbook. Um, not that FDR wore green Henleys, but um, so let's see. Now, here's where I think that FDR, here's where I think Zelensky is making a mistake. So FDR used to, FDR addressed the U.S., although he knew everybody was listening in, right? So he knew that England was listening in and so on. But Zelensky talks, um, he started out talking to the the people of Ukraine. So his first speeches, you know, the first five, 10 days after the Russian invasion were directed at the people of Ukraine. Stay strong, all that. Doesn't do that right now. What he's doing is he addresses the people of Ukraine, but he does it through his approach, his addresses to the European Union, um, to NATO, and to um, gonna change this. 
um, and and to the U.S. Congress, right, when he shows up on Skype or whatever. So he's not doing this genuine approach. So, you know, I think he needs to split it and go back to just whoever is listening in Ukraine right now as an approach and then maybe have that syndicated out. But he's he's broadened this out very quickly. And I think that approach is weak is going to weaken him. Um to try to address to address the world. Again, NATO, you're not a NATO country. You can try to convince people that NATO should be on your side in, in intervening, but this is also the Casper Weinberger principles from the 1980, which has to do with like the US, how the US involves military assets into world um, conflict, I guess. And then, um, you know, there, there are just, there, you know, Zelensky's trying to make it appear in these speeches, right, that, um, you know, the European Union, NATO, and the U.S. Um, are aligned with him, where that is maybe somewhat there, not truly accurate. So FDR didn't do that. He wasn't giving his speeches to, you know, France and England, and it was really just to the U.S. So that's where, so, so you know, if you're a citizen of the Ukraine, when Zelensky was talking directly to you the first five, 10 days, like that's more powerful than now when he's talking about you to a world audience and you're kind of listening in that way. So he needs to go back and address the people of Ukraine. So what else did I have in here? I think that was about it. So um, I'll go through the chat. I have a little more to go on, but um, so a few more things though. So, so propaganda. So Zelensky has captured three things that FDR did in the 30s and 40s. And that is the, the way that he is um, giving kind of these fireside chat um, updates, right? He's giving them at a very um, easy to access level, not complicated language. He's not talking in specific. He's talking general generalities, more emotion. Um, he is, he is, also, um, let me just get it here so I have it. He's being uh, consistent with the intervals in which he's delivering these things. Um, and also a short duration of 11 to 44 minutes. And again, the Green-Henley approach is keeping with the consistency, right? You want to be closer to the people than you want to be presenting from a suit and a tie, even though all of that's available to you, right? You want to be embedded in vivo. So even though you could only hear... FDR, you could imagine that FDR was was just in the room next to you, sitting next to a fireplace talking. So there was a lot. And that's where with Zelensky for you know Ukrainians, there's much more ability to relate to him if you see him as someone who again is wearing again the green henley and in outdoors, right? Um, who you might run into versus somebody who's in a very ornate office wearing an expensive suit. So he's kept that. He's been very well coached on that. So this isn't to say any, I don't have any positionality for Zelensky on this. I'm just saying it's very noticeable. And I pointed this out and other people pointed this out to me that he is using FDR's um, fireside chat tactics right now, which are very effective. They, they lasted from 33 to 44 for FDR. They're very effective. Um, so if Zelensky stays with these and continues to tune that approach, right, 
Um, this will serve very well for him from a propaganda standpoint, especially on a national and then also on a global stage. So, um, so yeah, just some notes on that. So when you when you see the things that Zelensky is doing now, he's basically replicating a lot of the key things that FDR did from 33 to 44. So um, let's go back here. Um, yes, the oil is working. So, hey, it's Coop's channel. Vanessa saying, got my font selections changed on my patches and stamp artwork. Good for you. Free Google. Yes. Vanessa, it's interesting because I did the companion document for School of Airs. So the audiobook is releasing very soon. You know, it narrated last Friday, got done with it. But um, the companion document I finished today. I, I updated it today. And I did I did it in Google. So the fonts are free. Because right, if you use like a Times New Roman or things like that, you can have a challenge that you are um, infringing on um, intellectual property. So I did all of that in Google for that reason. Uh, Jim McIntosh, you know they use the SARS too as an excuse to shut down stuff as iCare Dental. Yeah, so um, I can't get into that <laughs> on the show, but as we go in the book, Philosophy of Information, specifically there are chapters, right, where I say, you know, let's look at, you know, if you're getting a breast cancer screening, right, that was canceled. But if you had a marijuana uh, dispensary, that was open. So, like, look at how this stuff happened. So it's not only essential, non-essential for workers, but also businesses. And then how these these things got um, the, these deep divides, which everybody kind of, not everybody, but a lot of people gloss over this. When I give presentations right now on the velocity of information, you know, like book groups and things like that, I am so, so amazed because it was two years ago. I'm so amazed how many people do not remember that in March of 2020, everybody woke up to be deemed essential or non-essential. You had no say in any of it. And like that not only meant you, but that meant, you know, services like, you know, that you would have access to dental mental health, as Jim is saying, um, you know, it was, it was just instantly, you know, church churches. Right. Um, and people, half the people I present to you will say, I forgot about that. And what they're really telling me is I didn't, that they didn't forget about it. They blocked it from their memory because nobody forgets about it. Right. I mean, if you're 40 years old, right. <laughs> and, um, you know, in 2020, I mean, you didn't forget about this. You blocked it from your memory. And and then we get into a little bit more because then I'll say, you know, this is a common theme that I'm seeing when I present. People do not remember that they were essential or non-essential and how fast it happened. It was one day and, you know, there was nothing you could do about it. Um, so people just block it out. And I said, you know, every decision in how information came to you was curated after that moment what information came to you based upon your designation. But I said, you know, every decision you make going forward is going to be based upon that, right? If you're going to, you know, career decisions or vacation decisions, you know, if you're going to, you know, uh, go somewhere on a trip and it's like, well, you know, go here, but, you know, what if there's some now decree about, you know, 
essential, non-essential or limiting of travel. And, but like if, if you're kidding and you're picking out a career, you want to make sure you can work remote, right? You want to make sure that you have something that if there is some deeming of essential or non-essential, you're still going to be able to make a living. Um, what does it mean if you're living in big cities? You know, like I wrote about, uh, I interviewed Stacy Brower, who's a real estate agent in Seattle. And she said, you know, the thing with Seattle was people bailed out of Seattle um, in, in the high rises, the really nice places. And it wasn't because of the, the rioting and looting and stuff like that. She said it was because um, elevators, right? You'd get in and they would have one person per elevator trip or something like that. So <laughs> for you to get up to your 14th floor place in Seattle would take you 45 minutes because other people ahead of you were using the elevator and it was one at a time. Things we don't think about, right? So people be like, I'm never going to put myself in that spot again. Or if I have to work from home, right? I want to be able to have a little bit of a, a yard and I want to have some space. That's where when I wrote about Aaron Sawyer, who's doing really well, talked to Aaron maybe a week ago. Um, the uh, Redline VR virtual reality club owner where they in Chicago deemed him inessential, had his business shut down, and people started to knock on his door after a while and said, hey, like, <laughs> I'm working from home here, and I'm not, I never expected I, I would stay here like 24 hours a day. It's a tiny apartment in Chicago. Can I come in and use your Wi-Fi and stuff? So he, he got a license and became a business or became an office. People would rent office space. I put the ad in the book. It's really cool. It's a cool story. And the part is like, it, then, you know, Aaron succeeded. Like he made it through, he pivoted. And in last week he said, I think he's got like two sites now. And he's, he's has like improv stage. And he's even like these top rated comics to come in. He said, things are going great. But again, it goes back to that moment in time when he had to pivot. And part of the way that made that pivot possible is because people, right, were coming in and seeing him and, to use this office space, renting office space. And I have the ad that he ran, which is so cool. It's in the book, but people don't remember this. And, and when I, I, I then talk with people, right. And I said, you know, the thing is you're choosing not to remember this. So you, so what does that mean for you? What does it mean? Right. Or even family gatherings are for the future. Like, what does it mean for you? Um, and it's, it's just, it's really something because I don't think people realize it until the moment, I go through that and I, they realize it. they don't deny that it happened, but then they don't realize that they blocked it out of their mind. And they, and it's, it's, and I said, it'll, it'll be with you till day you die. It'll be with generations like this whole essential, non-essential. Um, it was really a, a nasty, a nasty thing. And there's this new branch, which is inessential, which is, is happening very quickly too. But, um, Andrew saying, Ron on Future Conflict got mad in my super chat because he misinterpreted it thinking, I want a civil war to happen. I don't. I was pointing out two weeks ago the FBI was arresting parents. So sorry about that. Um, there's so much going on in, in the there's a future conflict is phenomenal. So I there's such a vibrant chat um in there that must have got misinterpreted for speaking out against RT. Now the FBI is busy looking for Russians. We delayed or stopped a civil war. It's all thanks to Russia and V. Yeah. And there's, you know, some weird stuff, the, the whole school board stuff, because I teach the uh, superintendent legal courses. And, you know, November 2nd, there was supposed to be a, a statement coming out from Merrick Garland on how schools would report people that they deemed to be threatening, right, at board meetings and things like that. That never came out. So I don't know what it really means. 
Um, so it's it's all the school stuff is really uh, is a mess because of the way that the FBI jumped into that. But um, Bacon saying, so you're saying Zelensky is as trustable as the guy responsible for the feds and Great Depression tells me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying he's trustable. So that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying he's using the same strategies. That's all I'm saying is he's using the same strategies for propaganda. Um, and other and people have noted this, and they may, you know brought it to me too. I'm like, yes, he is definitely using the FDR fireside chat strategies, which were very effective. So, um, Mixbus uh, was about to say, Doc is making clever analogies here, intentional or not. So, so. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Was he drunk on that video? I don't know which video. So the video stuff is, you know, I did the deep fake talk a couple of weeks ago, and I've been talking now more with that uh, on a topic with uh, people and especially uh, like school administrators. And I just said, this whole deep fake thing is going to be everywhere, everywhere in the next year to two years. And it's already hitting up some schools uh, where, you know, a parent is saying, hey, like, you know, this this kid was vaping and they're on the cheerleading team and now they should be off. And then so they show a video, but it's been a, it's a deep fake, right? And the district then kicks the kid off. The kid's like, I didn't do this, but how that's going to spread. And I don't think there is a good counter to this. So I have a couple of friends in the intelligence community who know this much more closely than I do work in this. And they're kind of with me on that. And I just said, can you get would can you give some guidance or give like what you think will unfold or also like what you would suggest to be a defensive position? I mean, Joe Dolio, I think, has this down where he said, you know, buy the the pocket, the pen that has a camera. So if you're in situations that might be of conflict or confrontational or uneasy or whatever, you have um some evidence, right, of of what of what happened. And but the question is, are you going to have teachers, you know, who are going to record either themselves presenting because, I mean, you couldn't record, you know, like your students, but I mean, or I don't, I just don't know. I, I, I don't know because um, the tech, it's, you will see in the next year, vendors will start to market software for deep fakes, but that will all be just a sham. It'll be like the, it will be like at the start of the pandemic when these companies were all over the the internet and home shopping, right, and channels type stuff, and they would sell you like the UV light wand and say like it did all this stuff. It was basically just a purple light or just a black light. It had no special special properties, right? Um, but those things sold like crazy. So I had relatives who actually tried to give me some of those because if you bought like three, you know, you got a better deal. And like these things, like this, this no, it's not effective, right? I had another friend tell me, like, if you, like, your your uh, dishwasher will sanit sanitize everything, kills all the germs and stuff like that. And I'm like, I don't know. I said an autoclave would, right, for medical equipment. But I don't think a dishwasher necessarily does that. It doesn't get up to, like, 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit to do that. It's probably good. It's There's probably, you know, there's probably less likelihood, but it's not what you are describing. So... All these these goofy things yet, you know, like I said, when I wrote, wrote in the book, and I think it's really an interesting point, you know, your your mail, your postal carrier didn't change things up in most of 
places, at least in my area. And, and most of my member checks, you know, still got your mail <laughs> brought up to your house, you know, no gloves, no mask, or if they did have a mask, no gloves. So your mail has been intermingling with hundreds of other people, you know, people's mail and maybe the people just up the road who have COVID, but to be an enemy of America can be dangerous, but to be a friend is fatal. Henry Kissinger. So I didn't know that quote, but yeah. BV Luminous, where is Gonzalo Lira? I do not know. Had to look up that Lira dude. Someone didn't understand. It's got to be Therjitsu. Yes, Mictivus. Andrew, yeah, he chose to say it's never a good uh, idea to stay in a war zone as a civilian, especially if you speak out against the narrative. Yes. BV Luminous, Daily Beast didn't help him enough. How's it make you feel? It's our good friend John Steele from the Steel City, which is Seattle, Washington. He's a Steel City. Every time I hear the phrase essential worker, I have this horrible flashbacks to the film of Schindler's. Yeah, it was a whole essential, non-essential. And, you know, I have a photo in my book of um, our small engines place in my town. So I've been a, it's a family small engines place that made it through the pandemic, but the the sign, you know, the guy put on, on the door, you know, closed by like, you know, order of the government or whatever. So I took this picture. It's kind of interesting because you can see like the reflection in back of me of some of these um, uh, storage units like across the road, because like at that time, everybody too was like going to their storage units, trying to sell everything they could because they had no idea what was going to happen with the economy and all that. But, um, but, you know, I talked to him and he's like, what a, what a thing, you know, right. To, to be told you can't open your store yet. Like down the road, the Lowe's and home Depot who sell lawnmowers and leaf blowers, same thing he does. They're, they're open, but he can't open. And he had this whole thing. Like he said, I could, I can socially distance, right? Like we could, I could do all this. And they, he had to close. And I'm like this whole, in the way that we, I don't know the, we, I didn't have any part in this, but um, it, it's really brutal and callous and calculated. And again, I wrote about it right away. I think it's on page four, essential versus non-essential. And I use the story of Carl Mankey from Oswa, Michigan, the barber, who was deemed non-essential. And he would, you know, the state patrol would be sent to his place to lock it up. And as soon as like the media would leave, they'd unlock it so he could cut hair again. And they still tried to find him. Uh, but anyway, he eventually prevailed. But um, but it was it's really scary. Again, people, I think when you read the book, you read the velocity of information, I keep looking at the book and I just need to put it out here. Um, it's, you get it right away. And it's going to be this feeling of, whoa, you know, again, all of us went through that. And sometimes, you know, being non-essential wasn't a good thing, right? And sometimes being essential wasn't a good thing either. I think essential more or less meant society offloaded its risk onto you if you're working, again, at a grocery store or a truck driver or something like that. Um, but it's really weird, this whole thing of essential versus non-essential. Um, and, you know, remember the papers? I didn't put that in the book. I did have people in my member check who sent me pictures of their papers. Like, they never would email them. <laughs> you know, we always kind of kept it through these different networks. But I, um, I didn't include it in the book. Again, there, I, I wanted to be very careful that the book didn't try to didn't start to feel conspiracy. But I remember 
in March of 2020, I had to do some banking. One of my banks is in a couple hours from here. Um, and I called the bank because I didn't know. I mean, I had to use an interstate to get up there. And I thought, if I get pulled over, who knows, right? It is a whole essential, non-essential. You shouldn't be out driving. I had friends who were essential workers who said they got pulled over two, three times a week by the police. They had to show their papers. So I got a hold of the bank and I said, hey, like I'm coming up here. We had to do some stuff in person. And they sent me like an email saying, you know, you're coming up here. And what it wasn't really essential papers, but I thought if I got pulled over, right, at least I can show this and say, like, here's what I'm doing. And it's really weird, though. But again, I mean, we think like this stuff happened years and years ago and it happened less it happened two years ago. So, yeah, the whole Schindler says so you're right on, John. So, by the way, John, read um, in Velocity of Information, Chapter 4. So you're the, the Weirman on or the Veerman and Eisen. So it's, you're going to love it. By the way, check your email. but um, Or your DMs from me. But, um, Bacon, I can tell you this. She wasn't lying about the elevator BS in Seattle only. Made me happier. I never moved to Billy. Yeah, you, you'd know that with your uh, the business that you're in. So, yeah, so it was a big, it was a big thing for people, right? Especially... Um, you know, if you're more elderly, right? And suddenly, you know, you're every, you have to make a calculated decision, you know, when you leave your, the building and whatever, because it might be 35 minutes before you, unless you use the stairs, right? You're getting back to where you're, you live. That determination honestly didn't affect me at all. It's a blessing to be your own boss. Yes. New York Outcast is talking about essential, non-essential didn't affect him. So I was, um, I was doing contracting at that time. And what it did for me is it actually, it didn't change things a lot. It, it, if anything, it increased my business. It increased demand a lot. Um, so, but what it did do, you know, is it messed up things, right? Like, you know, I, the, the services around me, you know, that, yeah, our kids weren't in school, right? Um, the small engines place was shut down. Um, you know, the the restaurants were shut down and, and things like just the things in your community. And not I'm not saying those can be toggled on and off. I'm saying that some of those never toggled back on again. Um so so there was this really just weird uh you know, weird feeling with that. Um so New York Caucus. Hello, everyone. Been listening, but also working. Can't really chat. All right. Got you, buddy. By the way, New York Outcast, um, I finished on Friday narrating School of Airs, my first book, um, professionally at a sound studio and is being um, rendered now. And that will be out no later than summer through Find Away Voices. So Audible and all those places. So yeah, it's about six hours total when, you know, you get it off of any of the places, but I'm excited because I narrated that one and I'm going to show you guys exactly what it was. It's one minute. So hang on here just a second. Hang on. Here we go. Describe the odor. Is it like when something electrical is burning and so on? Ridiculous, right? We don't shift the investigation to the reporter, but that's covertly what the school district thought needed to happen to prevent their investigation scrambling principals from burning out. 
and as this paragraph smolders, it would be prudent to consider bringing students with disabilities from the sidelines of safety and center them to active roles of detecting and reporting threats. So we had a rather difficult meeting. Upon due diligence of examining the reporting system, I informed the district representative that I could not justify modifications to the existing model as such changes would make the system less accessible to students. Well, that was a short chit chat. The district folks believed or hoped that the threat input system could be modified and maintained with fidelity. I wasn't in alignment with that hypothesis, and so I was thanked and given notice that our partnership would be over at month's end. Business is business, but in school safety, it's never as simple as that. All right. So yeah, we had just finished recording everything and then I handed my phone. So the audio there is just off of my phone. That's not like the professional audio that was recorded, but uh, I wanted to have that capture of what it was like. So, and the door would be shut. So I'd be in the booth and I'd be getting feedback from the sound engineer. As I was reading, he had the script in front of him too. So he would stop if there was something where I mispronounced it or I skipped over something and I made my share of mistakes too. But um, yeah, really, I, it's really a great accomplishment to get that book out in audio for people. And I bring a lot of energy to it. So it's a good one. Um, so let's keep, uh, let's keep going here. So this is John Steele upload videos to the blockchain. Uh, this prevents them from being edited without leaving a footprint. Yeah. And you guys might, let me bring up one more video. This is 45 seconds. So I have this on my own external drives and all of that. So people completely forget that this happened too. Um, that in March of 2020, there were many places across the country. This one is in Bellevue, Washington, but there was Dane County, Wisconsin, close to where I'm at. Many uh, municipalities wanted you to report your neighbors for um, large gatherings, like four or more people, right? So let me show you, and I reference this in the book. I was not allowed to take a screen capture from this and put it in the book. <laughs> wasn't That didn't go through with the publishing house. But uh, watch this. Um, let me bring this up right now. It's just 45 seconds long. And remember, this happened in hundreds, if not thousands of places across the country in March of 2020. Hi, everybody. This is the Safety Doc with a face validity check-in here on March 31st, 2020. Bellevue, Washington has started a tool to report stay-home violations. This is from the government website in Bellevue, Washington. So we're going to scroll down here to my Bellevue portal and then to report gatherings. They've made it convenient. If there's a map on the right, you can drag a location over here into address, write a description, and then also include photos. This is a practice we've seen in some areas of the country, but it's gonna be more prevalent. Look for it in your area, probably in the next week or two. Yeah, I mean, that actually happened, right? That, um, and it's really weird too, because there are two things. There are two reasons to do that at the start of uh, um, uncertain times, right? A pandemic, a war, whatever. But um, there are two reasons to do that. One is you enroll people at the start of a crisis or chaos event. Crisis, you think it can solve. Chaos, you just have to endure through to the end of it. But um, 
So it does make sense to do something like that at the start. Um, I probably wouldn't do that exact strategy, but you could argue and say in short term, we want people to be reminding their neighbors. Now here you're submitting photos and now people are starting to um, hack this, right? There's hackers who are coming in and saying, hey, like in whatever community, you're the person who submitted 20 videos of your neighbors, right? Um, and so these people are being reverse doxxed. It's really crazy. But so the one is you want to give people something to do and to settle them down at the start of a chaos event. And that makes sense. But the second thing is if you enroll people to enforce, um, now you're creating this pseudo deputized um, entity. And that is what these videos really did. It wasn't to say, and why in the world at a time when police forces were down, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50% because of COVID positive tests and you're spreading people out, right? You don't want them to be in proximity that your police are all over the place and they have to be there, you know, for car accidents and fires and different emergencies, right? And you're saying, you know, no, you submitted a picture here of your neighbor and there were four people in the driveway and now what does it mean? They automatically get a fine. Where does that photo reside? And as I said, um, you know, there there was no, that photo could have been taken a year ago. You had people coming in from out of the area to try to enforce some of these things in communities that did that, right? So they're flying, they're, they're trying to watch for this. They're trying to do drones. So imagine that, like, see your community of, of whatever, 10,000 suddenly has like, you know, 2,000 people go there to try to enforce and report on other people. And so are your police going to, you know, prioritize and show up because, you know, you have four people in your driveway for this one picture and maybe somebody went and got groceries, right? And did community shopping for the, the uh, you know, the neighborhood or whatever and, and people come over there. And so for 60 seconds, right? Like there was, there were people together. Um, so uh, is this so messed up? It is so messed up. So I have the archive, but again, I was, I mentioned it in the book. Um, but I don't have the image in the book. I had I had a close-up of where it said, you know, your reporting thing, but they were like, nope, <laughs> you can't, you can't do it. And I don't know if it was because, it, even though it's a government site, but I was like, well, whatever. But uh, so I, I show that video when I, again, when I present and I kind of uh, lay out the context for the velocity of information, you know, who was essential, who wasn't essential and how um, information was, was curated, right? information we were quickly asked to provide information centralized into a government you know uh portal right we were told to do that so information we were gathering information and then so the velocity of information changed it wasn't just coming out to us we were the ones feeding it into the system and was it really to make us safer or was it to punish those who weren't compliant with essential versus non-essential so um but I mean, just to point these uh, things out and to show that video, people will be like, "That really happened." I'd be like, "It's it's a hundred percent authentic, right?" I have all, I've all, I've everything from that in several drives and backed up in different places. And I just put this little video, and it's out there on, on Twitter. You can see the day that I released it. All of that's out there. Um, you know, in two thousand twenty, March thirty first. But um, people refute. I don't know if people refuse it, but they're like, "No, that didn't happen around here." I'm like, "Happened everywhere." You didn't know it, right? 
or maybe you did know it. Um, so, but again, I think what's been most God, no, I think what's been most surprising for me with, um, the velocity of information. One is it's been very successful. Again, it's maintained its number one spot in two categories for 18 days, strong international sales, but people 471 end notes, a lot of pictures, you know, cities, but people do not, um, uh, they haven't reconciled with how quickly they forced from their memories. These, these things that happen essential, non-essential or report on your neighbors and stuff like that. They just don't get it. They don't get the fact that, I mean, really, like, do deep down think of your big box store that remained open. Um, why why didn't you enter that store and be given a mask so there was inter-rater reliability, right? So you, know, you could go in with a bandana and they'd be like, this is fine, but a bandana is not a mask. But why weren't you given a mask from the store and gloves? And then, like, when you were done shopping, the store would collect those in, like, a, a sharps type area, right? Like, why didn't that happen? Just those type of questions, like, right? Why didn't that happen for inter-rater reliability? Because um, why wasn't there some way to test the efficacy of a mask as far as, like, what it went, let in, what it let out? But the questions are there. And I think the book is really a, a, a deep thinker um, because I wrote it in vivo, right, you know, too. But uh, And people have to be like, yeah, why? that didn't really make sense, right? It, it, it would kind of make sense if you did go to a certain big box store and they had a, you know, that they would say, you have to wear this while you're in here. And also for their insurance companies, right? To have something to say, like we are doing something to make sure we have this level of protection in our facility. That wasn't a concern though. So, you know, you go into a grocery store and how many people have knocked on the watermelon before you've knocked on it and, or residue or anything that's on a coin or a dollar. But anyway, if it works so well, would you give it away or would you sell it? I'd be selling it, no discounts. So that's yeah, a good friend, BV Luminous. All depends on clientele bacon. Lots of people still want it services. Yeah. Alex Patino, the uh, problem with Gonzalo Lira presented another face of the war, not favorable to Ukraine while residing in Ukraine, of course. He was doxxed. hope the man is okay. Yeah. Really good show, Doc. I'm going to get your audiobook. Well, thank you, Saltoot Surfer. I appreciate that. So it was a big thing to do the audiobook. I wanted to do that for accessibility, too. I have friends who are blind. I worked to the school for the, uh, the visually blind and visually impaired for four years. So a lot of my coworkers are blind. That was one thing they, they said, please, when you do a book, do an audiobook because this whole like reader thing of software just is not the same. And so like, I was like, yes, I will do that. Um, and now I've finally done it. So, and I know some people just like audio. I, I like audiobooks. Um, so, um, this is bacon to New York outcast. Maybe if I were local to the city I used to live in, they didn't care about the BS Seattle or where I live now. Well, there's a reason I don't go there anymore. Understandable. So I'll do, this is scary. I don't know. Didn't know this happened. I think that's with the video. Holy smokeles, especially smokeles. And you had it. Ellen, it's really big time. Appreciate you, Salty. Um, Interesting that the two largest, uh, biggest cities in the Puget Sound area of Washington got heavy coverage on things that happening there. 
No kidding, right? You start, and that's the thing too, when you get the member check network, which I wrote about velocity of information. I had my own member check network and then about five people. And then I also wrote a chapter about Joe Dolio's member check network. And Joe is a professional, right? So he's got his network where they're taking the, such metadata. Like, you know, you take pictures with your camera and he's using Soul Locator app. So it gives like the, the actual GPS locations and times, all those stuff is on it for Providence, which is really good. So I kind of gave like how you could do it just starting out. Anybody could do it. And then like, if you really want to jump it up to the next level, like here's where I bring in Joe to give you some ideas on that. But instead, there are these amazing research, um, you know, article that research studies I pulled into the book, which I mean, I, and I only write about them in a couple paragraphs, but it's like, is people, once they go outside of their family and build their network, because people first will build their network and they'll say, okay, like in my family, like, okay, what, what can, what can they tell me? What are they observing? And this is one one thing like for medical, like something people get a medical condition and they try to like, you know, get information from their wife or their brother or something like that. And they're like, you got to get outside of that group because they're they're going to have a bias, right? And they're, they only have as much knowledge probably as you do. But when you get a member check network, like I had Brian in the Bronx, I had, you know, uh, Chuck Mack in Pittsburgh, you know, and, and again, more of my network, um, I could figure out pretty well what was happening across the U.S., a pretty good sense from five people, right? So I knew, like, when Essential Paper started, I knew when the currency stuff started to happen, when when stores in certain places were no longer accepting anything but credit card. So, like, that was really, really helpful. There's so many things, and, and I wrote about it in, in the book, of getting an idea of what's happening around you from different people, um, in different areas. Right. And, and then Joe Dolio takes it into another level of how to, to get this metadata and how to kind of like the 3d chess of what's happening and trying to then predict like what's going to happen next. So you really come out of this. Well, when you read the velocity of information, if it's you or you're trying to help out your, you know, your family members or maybe your parents, you know, or, you know, other, other people, right. Um, it's, it, it is just so well tuned to that. It's so well tuned right now. You know, what are you seeing for inflation or what's the news that you're getting locally on mask mandates starting again, like in Pennsylvania yet, yeah, like the airline stuff isn't happening. So, um, what are you seeing for elective surgeries postponed or happening? But so you, you get this mosaic and it's really this force multiplier and, Statistically, so the studies, right, that I cite in the book, once you get two, three, four people, five people, you in this network, you get so much better information. Now, once you get a network of like 100 people, unless you have like people professionally monitoring and understanding how to do that, like then the information isn't as effective. But if you can get like four or five people around, spread around you, and they give information, you get so good at getting better information. It's exponential. And nobody teaches you that. Nobody. But you read it in the book, and I talk about the studies, right? And I talk about how to do it and how I did it and then how Joe Dolio did it. And you, it's not complicated, right? You, and you feel so much better. Your anxiety level goes down. You're making more informed decisions. But um, 
But again, your member check network is so important. And five people can increase your accuracy of intelligence by 90% right off the bat, right with that of what's of what's happening. Um, so yeah, it's not prohibitive. It's very doable. And we lay out not we, but I mean, I lay out in the book as I guess, you know, cause I interviewed Joe, Joe talk, talks about the kind of, if you're going to like the next level, you know, right. Right. Then you can bring in some stuff like Solicator, but um, it's just, it's really good. And it's just the way we should practice in general, the way we should be able to say, I observed, right. Versus here's what the news said. And I'm like, Hey, I watched the same thing tonight. You watch ABC with David Muir. Yeah. Well, I saw the same thing here in Wisconsin that you saw over there in New York. Bacon Andrew, I still can't believe I missed that. It was a hell of a show. Yeah. Air show. He did. Loop the loops. Loop the loops. Loop the loops. Well, that's crazy. Loop the loopies. So um so I am I am um I'm not sure for next week what I want to talk about, but I, I think it might be the member check network. Um I think that could be it. And I think I did a show on that at one time in the past, but I think I could kind of revisit it um, at this point. And, and I either that, or I'd like to do a show on, um, I did one again early in maybe like episode 30, right? This is episode 178, but it was like forgetting how, we we tend to forget most things because right if you're walking down the road there's a lot of stuff you just don't have to tune into you know what's happening on the street and what's happening in somebody's yard or stuff like that unless it's really something significant you're probably just going to tune it out right um so like if you were asked what did you encounter on your walk probably most of it you're not going to to recognize um but I, I want to I want to make a show where I, I talk specifically about, hey, like, uh, you know, people are forgetting some of the really big things of the last two years. Not when I say forgetting, they're choosing not to remember these because maybe they've been very jarring, you know, for them. And also, like, you know, they're they're not addressed in the media. <laughs> they're not addressed by support groups or things like that. It's just, we don't talk about these things, but like the whole essential, non-essential, you know, stuff. And, and I think it's interesting maybe to do a show and to timestamp it of saying like how, you know, I'm, I've now released this very popular book and I get into some of these areas and people are like, Oh yeah. Only because I brought it up and I'm like, Whoa, like how did, how is it that like you haven't been thinking about this? I think that's that's really it's really telling. I I don't know what it means exactly, but um, I mean I could I could put that together a little better in a in a podcast and, and try to analyze too. You know, kind of like memories and you know people you know memories of um, you know uh, negative events and negative experiences people tend to block out, but we we have. I, again, 50% of the people I interact with do not remember essential, non-essential um, 
until again we start talking about it. they don't deny it so nobody's there saying it never happened they remember it then they recall it but they actively are and so when you try to have a dialogue on it and things hey it's our good friend ting ting hello ting ting hi doc are you talking about the ukraine propaganda i will listen to live stream that um yeah i was talking about that and i have a blog post which will come out tomorrow it's also in the whole description of the show i already wrote it but um, some of it I mean, there's so much more with Ukraine propaganda, and, and I've talked on uh, the Council for Future Conflict about it, and and so I mean, I could really get in into some of that too, and I might. But I'm saying right now, uh, very clearly, um, that Zelensky is using FDR's uh, fireside chat approach um, for his communication strategies on what is happening. It's very, it's a complete overlay. And if he continues to do that, it will work for him. Is But I did point out some mistakes I think he's making in that. But overall, like it's a really effective strategy for um, propaganda communication. So um, Andrew's saying, I cried when I was essential. Yes, essential, yeah. And I wrote about in the velocity of information where there were people um, who, you know, wanted to be declared non-essential. And one was, I think it was a um, road building group um, that petitioned on, it might have been in Michigan, I'd have to go back, but, and they wanted to be declared non-essential, right? They wanted to be able to collect the unemployment. And it was a big incentive on that part too. So, um, yeah. So before we go on, a few things is one, um, this is the most honest book ever written about the $3 billion school safety industry uh, as a parent or a taxpayer, just a person interested in how these decisions get made, how vendors kind of rule the roost. This book is out there. Please consider it. If you do own it, please leave a review. That would help me out. I've been at 49 reviews for a long time. And they are awesome reviews. I know Vanessa left a review. Thank you so much. But uh, I'd like to get this up to more reviews. Reviews move books, right? They convince people to buy. It's an awesome book. It's not just a school safety, but it's about, uh, there's a great segment in here on how on 9-11, in nine hours, 500,000 people were rescued from lower Manhattan. How did that happen? It's a way that we don't really think about. It's called transference dynamic. And the thing is like, nobody planned for that, right? How does that system just come together? How does the system develop? And and how you should kind of live your life knowing that systems will develop, like not to over plan necessarily, to be aware, but not to over plan. So all in here, but again, please, please consider this. This really is the, the benchmark, the hallmark book. And again, Coming out in paperback July 15th. It'll be out in audio no later than July 15th because I narrated it. Yay. The new book, The Velocity of Information, released on April 1st. Uh, this book has been uh, selling like gangbusters, doing really well. Uh, so it's from my, both books are through my publishing house. Uh, this has been strong internationally. Um, 208 pages here. It's also available in paperback and ebook. This will be out in audiobook next year by contract. It'll be a year after the release, but really good. And again, like, you know, you've got, um, I've got the, let me get the paperback. 
it's right over here. I like the, I like the, yeah, I was never a big paperback fan, but you know, it's just, it's, it is easier to read paperback. Um, the hard copy is a great thing to have is to pass on as a legacy. Right. Mm -hmm. But let me get a couple of the things here. I can show you in paperback. So one of the things that is a really unique feature here in paperback, well, in both any of the way that the book is put out there, but um, I had custom graphics made for the book. So what I did is I, I got core terms such as phase validity, finite voltage, and all that. And I worked with a graphic artist. And across four pages in the book, you have a complete timeline of the year 2020. And how these terms present, such as crowding behavior in August, um, regression to the mean in November of 2020. So it's really good. You're going to see, you know, you got the story here, Nikolai Razavayu, the Soviet cyclist who had to cycle in Kiev a day after Chernobyl. A lot of stuff is similar to today, kind of how Kiev, right, information comes out that is very controlled by the state. So uh, really, really exciting, you know, 10 interviews with that. So, um, so anyway, please consider both of those those books. Um, if you do own them and you haven't posted a review, please do that because, again, reviews are so important to um, convincing people who are on the fence, you know, to buy a book. They're going to go to, to the reviews, right? They want to know what you found valuable in it and why they should buy it. Um, this is Bacon. Honestly, I was going to go out and do my job, whether they call me essential or not. Turns out my fuel is essential. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, the other part, let's look at, you know, social, you know, organizations being, you know, shut down. Um, Lions Club, JCs, uh, Kiwanis, um, churches, right? So just, you know, there, there are a, a lot of, you know, if, again, to forensically go back and to look at what was essential versus non-essential. And I wrote about it too extensively, right? A marijuana dispensary was essential. A place that did breast cancer screenings was non-essential. Um, it was really wild how these lines got drawn. And they got drawn fast. And there was no debating, right? But, I mean, this stuff happened in a matter of a day across the country. And so, I mean, it's pretty terrifying if you if you – for, if you go back and look at it and if you got drawn into the wrong line, right. If you, if, if you are on the wrong side of that, remember like there was a time when these initially came out, there wasn't, we did not know that there was going to be the unemployment supplemental unemployment and stimulus checks and all that stuff. That was still an unknown. So you had people for, you know, a couple of weeks in March who were, selling anything they could. You go back to eBay Marketplace, I mean, people were selling a year old computer for 50 bucks, they'll drive it to you. Gas was 77 cents a gallon by me. Yes, gas was 77 cents a gallon two years ago by me. Um, and people be like, yeah, where do you live? Okay, you're two hours away, I'll drive this thing to you, give me the cash. Because they had no idea what was gonna happen. Um, so one, um, the Aztec uh, patriarch, who is a good friend of the show here, is not in here tonight though, but who is um, uh, 
mechanic in uh, San Francisco said, hey, you know, I was scooping up cars for a couple hundred dollars, which easily would have sold for a few thousand, if not more. And people just tell me I need the money. I have no idea what's happening, you know, back in mid-March of 2020. And he'd be like, tires alone are worth what I'm paying you, you know, versus the rest of the vehicle. And uh, people are around here were emptying out their storage units. Um, Everything was going. Big thing, firewood. So firewood is something I'm very aware of because I ate my house with firewood. And firewood dropped to, you know, like really cheap. So cord of firewood, you know, I'll deliver, you know, like a whole trailer of fire, firewood for a hundred bucks. So maybe like four cords, um, you know, wherever you're at. I mean, that was kind of what, what you were seeing. Right. And a cord of firewood around here um, right now, you know, maybe like 75 bucks. So, but I mean, you could see, I mean, people are just like whatever they could do to get money. So it was really crazy. And I wrote about that and I backed it out of the book. Um, and just the reason was I wanted to really boil down and, and tighten up the book quite a bit. But uh, I, I, I contemplated it. And that was one thing that was kind of a last cut. But that the, the velocity of information is... I didn't really have a good way to tie in the fact that the this big shift in the economy for like a week or two of people like trying to sell everything. So like the inform the velocity really became sales, right? The it was just trying to to liquidate. But seventy seven cents. When I was in high school, I have a picture of my car, and in the background, the gas station was seventy seven cents. Yeah, it hit. It hit here for like two or three days, and then it rebounded like into the 90, 95 cent range. It was under a dollar for maybe a week or two, and then it was probably you know, like a buck, buck ten. Uh, but yeah, it was. It got down to one day to 77 cents a gallon. I don't know when. I have to go back and check. But um, so, yeah, because remember, everybody stopped traveling when essential, non-essential, and then, you know, it was crazy. Um yeah, and the fact that you know there was a good chunk of of the end of March, April, May, where gas was really between like a buck and a buck twenty. <laughs> I mean, that was like it. So remember, like a year ago too, it was a year ago that we had the Colonial Pipeline a, uh, ransomware attack, and I wrote about that in Velocity of Information, and how you know a third of the country, uh, you know, gas prices were going to eight, ten, twelve dollars a gallon, and over a thousand gas stations were out of gas and. So just, I mean, how quickly we kind of forget these timelines. Ting Ting saying, I was tricked by George Bush and the yellow cake lies. I tend to not believe what a politician says. Wrong side of heaven. Can you send, wrong side of heaven can send you straight down hell in my mind. Yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, that is a big part of velocity of information is when you are gathering your information, um, you are working with other people that you vet it and can authentically say, I observed. Uh, I'm not, there's nothing in that book that has, has said, go to the CDC website or ready.gov or, you know, whatever. Um, uh, yeah, it is, it is trying to get as close and organic as you can with people that you, uh, you have a trust in. And you also have a system, like, you know, the book teaches you the admiralty scale system it's right in there it's in the in the book the, the admiralty scale 
which is really cool. It fits like on an index card. Joe Dolio uh, shared that with me, and he uses that. But um, so it's our good friend CNT. Ting ting true that yeah. So, um, so that's one one of the things. Um, yeah, the book doesn't um, does the book doesn't direct you to you know, this, this kind of government, you know, I think obviously if there's a, right, if there's a tornado or something that happens, right, you're going to, to go to some sources to get information, but in extended chaos situations, um, you have to weigh all sources of information. And that's where a member check of five people around the country, or maybe 10 people giving you information specifically on certain things. You know, what's available in the stores, what's not available. How about your medical stuff? Um, what is being shown on your TV? That's another thing that was interesting is you can do this. I Do this on your own. Sit down and watch, of course, ABC News every single night with David Mears. Like, and tonight, all these breaking stories. I'm just so tired, so sick of it. I'm like, <laughs> you can never write a book like The Velocity of Information, David Mears, but go ahead. And you get to see these these stories but if you sit with a if you sit with a stopwatch and you time out how much in how much time is given to each one of these stories you will find that you know one of these breaking catastrophic news stories might actually have 22 seconds devoted to it in the entire broadcast so it's very interesting to do these analyses of these broadcasts and to, to look at the time, um, which really tells you like how important something is and, or what is the lead story, right? Versus like what should be the lead story? Is it who gets voted into Supreme court versus is it that there were 10,000 deaths in a military conflict today? today. So, um, very interesting. And one of the things I didn't write about in Velocity of Information, again, I, that I discovered when I was gathering it was, you know, we also had this weird thing when the pandemic kind of kicked off in early March of 2020, where the, at least locally, the news and stuff would be running commercials of saying like, hey, like, you know, come to this place on, you know, the 21st or whatever for like, you know, the Midwest train show, but it had already been canceled like, you know, three days before. So there was this whole lag and you could kind of see how programmed things were and how it took the media to catch up with it, especially local media. And then also how local media, they had no idea of what a lot of these terms meant, right? Flatten a curve, ventilators, whatever. And so they were just echoing national stuff. And it took about a, a week to two weeks before they even start to interview local people. Like, how is this affecting your business or a local hospital or schools shut down or stuff like that? So, so it also kind of shows you, you can kind of pick that up through the book, but how things are programmed pretty far in advance, you know? So like what's on the nightly news has been figured out probably a few days before it's been brought on the news. Um, so I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of some crazy stuff. So let me, let me check here. So here we go. All right. Okay. Um, 
Jim is saying we're all lied to. Yeah. Um, we were, we were, con we were, um, information that was incomplete was portrayed as being vetted, right? And the, I mean, it's very clear in the velocity of information, right? That you can see these, these things like, um, but no, it was there. And I mean, into this day, right? You know, versus inflation and, you know, the whole supply chain. There's so many things that can come down to this of, of just what propaganda is versus like if you get outside of those networks and you start getting with your member checks or talking to people who are in these areas or like, you know, when we did the interview with Jonathan Berger about like the, the truck driver stuff, you know, like you start to see this stuff and you're like, okay, like if, if a big issue in truck driving is there's not, so there's new laws, you can only drive so long. And then like, if the, if you drive longer than that, like the vehicle, it's all detected. It's not paper log anymore, but, but yet like to have areas where you can pull off and to rest at waysides or other things, there's not enough. It's not well known. And then this big infrastructure bill comes out and there's not one thing in there about increasing one space for a semi. So like the whole, the whole lie of, yeah, it's really an infrastructure bill. Well, no, it's not. CNN had the banner breaking news Titanic sank a hundred years ago. <laughs> that's really, uh, if, Andrew, if that's authentic, that is, that is crazy that that would happen. So, oh my God. Um, yeah. Um, oddly, I like yellow cake with the chocolate frosting. So do I. Big time. Gulf of Tonkin, Pearl Harbor, even the Lusitania did not happen as portrayed in the mass media. Yes. Yeah, you're right. That's where it's important to get interviews right and talk with people who are close to these things, if not in these areas. And they're only going to be able to tell you what they're observing. They're not going to be able to give you the whole thing, right? All the puzzle pieces, but at least you can get more information. Jim McIntosh is a toke-tastic classic. This is our good friend Ting Ting. I need to get to my twin. I need to get my twins fed. Uh, thank you, and have a great week, Doc Pictures. Thank you. Got my twins fed. So. I'll leave Bacon to interpret that one for us. Um, all right. So here's here's a little uh, piece of trivia. Thank you for all the thumbs up. I appreciate that. By law, I can only drive 11 hours in the New England states. Suck with truck park. Yeah, so Alex is saying, right? So this is authentic, right? So if you talk with a truck driver, somebody in the industry, and you're, and you're talking and saying, hey, you know, you can drive right, 11 hours. And then after that, you have the electronic monitor, right? So if you drive beyond that, you would be fined. And I think like, I think one of the things I read was up to like $200 a day. But, you know, if you're to go and try to fight it, you'd have to take a day off of work, which wouldn't make sense. You just pay the fine. But the question is, where is truck parking? And right, why, why don't, why isn't this part of an in infrastructure bill? Well, then you could have this, but it was never even mentioned. But at least if it was mentioned, there could be this counter 
argument from the administration saying, oh, well, we're trying to go green and eventually, you know, like this will all be more automated so we won't need this. Well, I guess, right? But that wasn't even there. It's just saying, we're not doing this. Um, we're not we're not doing anything to alleviate for our essential workers, which is just sucks. I mean, I just, I don't get it. And it's not like you wouldn't be able to repurpose some of this parking area and stuff like that. I just, I don't, I don't get it. That's the stuff, Alex, where it's a complete fly in the face of, of like the reality of the situation isn't matching what the, the politicians are saying. So that's what really stirs me, right? Is, yeah. Jamacta. Oh, look at this. We have commercial vehicles getting their catalytic converters stolen, but converting the commercial vehicles to run pure ethanol is probably illegal by EPA bureaucracy. No kidding. So good point. <laughs> Can't argue. Right on. Uh, if you can drive only 70 hours a week, then shut down 34 consecutive hours. Yep. We can drive only some. Alex has got it. Jim, but if they ran pure ethanol E85, the callus really isn't needed. So... Yeah, so, so you guys are, are completely seeing all the logical arguments to crazy bureaucracy, right? You're <laughs> So you're doing a great job of that um, in areas that I don't have that that knowledge depth. Um, but you're pointing it out, right? You're seeing this. You're, you're putting the face validity out there. You're calling it out. So, yeah, I think it's awesome. Um. So tomorrow, tomorrow morning, I'm taking my uh, car in um, oil change. And so it's been like seven months, but I only, I don't drive much, like 2,800 miles on since the last oil change. But my windshield wiper is only working like half the time off of the stock. And it's, the vehicle's still under warranty. So like if I put it up and nothing happens, but if I stop the vehicle, shut it off, and restart it, then most times it fixes. It's, it's the only thing I've identified that kind of has gone wonky with the electronics. So I think it's a, it's a module. This will be a computer or something, but I don't know. I, but I took a video of it when it happened. Well, it's been happening a few times. but I, So I took a video, like a 15-second video, and then I sent it to the dealership and said, here it is. <laughs> Here's you can see the stock. You can see out the window. You can see like I can move it all the way up to high, and cars running. Nothing's happening. So they're like, "Hey, well, this is good because you know sometimes they try it and it doesn't happen and stuff like that." So you're describing like, so, "No, it's authentic." Um, bacon saying, honestly, using corn for anything but bourbon or tortillas is nothing short of high treason. No kidding. I could go for a bag of Doritos right now. By the way. So I was reading this thing about how the initial uh, Doritos like were more of a tortilla, which was really much better tasting and stuff than now. It's just with the flavor additives, which kind of add, which, you know, doesn't stop me from wanting Doritos. I actually got to add this to my list right now. My shopping list right here. So Doritos. I used to eat um, potato chips every night, regular potato chips every night before I would um, narrate. And, you know, the thought was that it would lubricate the vocal cords, right? 
Um, major league pitchers um, are told to do this, to eat a lot of uh, French fries, greasy food. Bands, singers are told to eat French fries, greasy foods before they perform. Yeah, I'm not just saying this because I hear this. Like I, People like tell me this who are in these areas and things like that and stuff I've researched. Even like my sound engineers, like, yeah, people will load up on greasy food before the stuff. So um, I don't know. There's a lot of orb activity in the background here. So if you, <laughs> what the hell's going on here? Is the haunted basement tonight? But I've been catching those on the replay screen over to my right. Um, but yeah, so I, there's, I would drink a, a two gallons of either water or iced tea the night or the day before, and uh, and it made a big difference. And I would practice narrating for about eighty minutes. And I wouldn't narrate the day before, but like two days before, I would narrate to build up endurance. All those things helped everything. And then a lot of uh, chapstick. It's amazing how much, um, like with peas and teas and stuff like that, just helped out. And uh, so I learned a lot. I learned a lot of uh, quick tips that kind of got me, got me better to really enunciate everything that I was saying. So... What rip to the Cool Ranch Doritos Locos Taco? Oh God, I am so disappointed. Taco Bell, you know, when I was in college, Taco Bell offered the steak burrito, which I loved. The chili cheese um, burrito, I think it was chili cheese burrito. Uh, the thing was awesome, and they're gone. God, if I could just have the chili cheese burrito back. So I so miss Taco Bell's menu, I guess. I haven't eaten at a Taco Bell in over a year now. So very disappointed in that. So, yeah, very sad. Very sad. So, yeah. So anyway, tomorrow morning my uh, car goes in. Hopefully they can figure out what's going on. You know, it's not really a... It's one of those things you probably wouldn't really realize unless you're out driving and it starts to rain and you throw your wipers on and you don't have wipers. So that would suck. And, you know, in winter, we also get snow on the windshields. So it's, you know, but I, um, I rain up, rain X the windshield like crazy on there just in case, like I forget to test that the wipers from driving anywhere and it starts to rain at least like I know I'll be all right. Otherwise everything's fine. Um, and our uh, our SUV has been been really fun. That's the one we ordered last March, and it arrived in December. So we've got in, you know, almost half a year with it, and it's been yeah, it's been fun. So I don't get to drive it a lot. This <laughs> is my wife and my daughter, but uh, but we are going to take it on a trip this summer. It's got the whole panoramic sunroof on it, and uh, so that I think is going to be an awesome feature. If the weather is good, um, it's going to be really cool to go out and to, to do that. So, uh, Rain-X. No kidding. I love Rain-X. I used to do Aquapel, but it's a little more. Uh, it costs more, and I don't know. It's all right. Rain-X, though, is quick. And it hasn't changed. Like, Rain-X from when I was age 10 to Rain-X now is the same deal. PepsiCo's a uh, parent of Yum Brands, yeah, of uh, including Taco Bell. So, um, oh, God. Man, oh, man. 
I'm hungry. We have a Taco Bell in town, but I mean, there's no reason to drive there right now. But I used to buy these frozen burritos when I was younger. They were pretty good. I got to look into that too. I mean, if you put enough hot sauce on a frozen burrito that's microwaved, it's not bad. So, all right. Well, guys, here's what I'm going to do is uh, I need you to get the books in the back. Somebody needs to leave the 50th review for School of Errors. And uh, Velocity of Information is out there. Um, there's an Amway product for glasses. Includes silicone. Works well. Very cool, Jim. Very cool. Um, and we have perforated seats in the SUV for the heating and stuff, but they're really hard to clean. <laughs> so anything gets in there, you know, like a, any crumbs or anything, and I'm like, it's just hard to vacuum out. I have leather seats in my car, which I love. Like, I never had leather seats when I was younger. They're always cloth, and now, like, I just prefer leather. But leather perforated, I'm finding, is not easy. I'm glad my kids are, you know, middle school, high school, because I think if you had young kids in perforated seats, like, God, that'd be hard to clean. So, toaster oven supremacist. Oh, man. I'm hungry right now for something. I don't know what it is. So I don't really like potato chips. So that's the thing when I when I need it to do the chips for narrating. Ugh, not a big plain chips guy. So, you know, and you don't want to go with anything spicy because you don't want to go in there with like a heartburn, you know, when you're presenting. So... Um, it's, it's funny, like my sound engineer said, we could do a whole show or we could do a whole like uh, track in your your back track. So when you do like find away voices, there's a front matter and there's like the main body and there's back matter. And then uh, we're, we're just it's like cutaways, like, you know, because I'd be I'd, I'd mess something up and I'd be mad about it. So I never swore. I never did anything like that. But. But he said, you know, there's there's a lot of that. We could cut this clip together. I'd be like, oh, God. So I'll tell you, though, the first time, the first, I went in, I did practice narration just to get a feel for the studio and the stuff. And then, um, like I said, I, I don't know. This was the, the hardest thing I've ever done is to narrate a book. I mean, like writing the book. I would say it was technically and much more time consuming things, but to actually narrate 60,000 words, there's a skill to that. Like you have to build up to, and I'm not the guy doing the editing, right? But you don't, your pauses are so different versus where your commas and stuff are when you're reading like hours at a time. Like you have to insert these different pauses and you have to kind of, you have to know the tone of the, the paragraph, right? So you might read it, but then you'd be like, yeah, but I kind of read that not in the right tone. So I need to reread it. But with that said, like, I've, it's really, I'm thrilling. It's, it's great. Um, I despise um, final seats. They rip so easy, fry little legs. Yeah. So I'm good. My, my, I have a lighter leather interior color of my car so like, i never had an issue with that um 
did have black interior on my previous one. The SUV is black, but you know, it's got all, it's, we haven't gone through a summer with it yet, but it does have all these cooldown features on it too. So I don't know, but final, but yeah. Um, even black leather does not get it. I, I yeah, I, my black leather seats on my previous vehicle seemed fine. Um, never had an issue with. Um, yeah, I, I I I prefer leather seats much to cloth. I mean, big time, so much like them. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited about um, summer. You know, like a couple months from now, I'm looking at the calendar. Like, we will be uh, we'll be you know vacationing and stuff like that. So. And then they're having, uh, I'm having a concrete curbing edging put in around my house where my landscaping is. I have, so I have six feet of stones that go all the way around my house. And I did that when I moved here in 2002. I dug it all up by hand and put, you know, bushes and stuff. Looks really good. Like, but it had, I put in industrial plastic, but we have squirrels that eat all that stuff up. So then basically it's just the stones and the yard. So you can have this industrial curbing, concrete curbing put in, and then it's stained and patterned and stuff like that. It's not cheap by any means. It's very expensive to do that. And uh, I'm having it done around the house because all of the, the squirrels ate the other stuff up. And it'll look cool. Um, but actually from the road, like you only see 25% of it. The rest of it kind of wraps around the side of the house and the back. Like where, where we only... We'll get to see it. So it is kind of this this thing where for all the money I'm spending on it. But I mean it's also like if you when the house sells whenever we do that, like you get the money back out. And it has to be done. If I just replace it with plastic, the squirrels will eat it up again. And um and this this will look a lot better. A couple of our neighbors have done similar stuff. And I still have the concrete pad on the side of my garage, which I need to get taken out and then the bigger one put in, but I gotta call the dude. I gotta make a note here. Um, to have that done, I I cannot tell you how much I am looking forward to um, you know, eighty degree days, and I can just be out in my my chair that I bought <laughs> and sitting in my driveway on my new concrete pad and just like kicking back and soaking up the sun. So that's really like it, it'd be such an easy transition to be like in a Florida over fifty community for me. So. Materialist like the cyclopline foaming was very good. Does not fade the dash. Cool. I use stoner glass cleaner. I've used it for years. Seems to work well for glass cleaner. Rank swiper flu is both good. I use that too. So I throw that in. Um so yeah. It's those things, you know, you don't think about, but before we go on vacation, or you know, if we do Sometimes my wife and daughter will have to go a couple states, you know, on different. My daughter is on a dance team. She danced at the Milwaukee Bucks home opener or for playoffs. I think it was yesterday, right? And, um, but when they go, like I will work on the windshield, you know, for 30, 40 minutes of rain exit, rain exit again, really get it polished because you know, you're going through bugs and other stuff or you get hit in a rainstorm in an area you don't know, you know, you want that 
water shutting off the the glass. Yeah, it's just one of those things. And in Wisconsin too, like in fall on a good day to heavy rain acts because it makes a difference in winter when you get snow and ice coming on. So stoner. Yeah, I don't, is it that expensive? I don't know. I don't go through like a lot of it. So I don't know if I even go through a bottle a year on stoner. So I, I, I have a lot of stuff like I never use. Like I still have like carpet cleaners and stuff like that, that spray that I should, I don't know, just put in a free bin at the next rummage sale or something like that. So, um, but well, um, I appreciate all of you very much. Thanks for giving the thumbs up to the show. We're at 20. So if you haven't given a thumbs up already, please, please do that. Appreciate that. As we head out here, this book is, um, it's been out two weeks now, but if you're a friend of Doc, there's a couple things you can do. Either get this book. I know it's not cheap. Publisher sets the price, but, uh, it's excellent. You'll love it. And, um, Another thing is go to your local, email your local library. Say, hey, like I live in here, right? And you're at my library. I want you to get this book. Um, in most cases, your library will order a book and or get a book that the patrons ask for. Here's the other one, School of Errors. Now, this has been out a couple of years. It's still a great book. That's the one that's coming out in audio soon. It'll also be out in paperback in summer. So I think it's $22 in $22 paperback, I think, when it comes out. But um if you if you email your local library, my God, they they want this stuff. They want to hear from people, and they'll be like, "Yes, we will get it." And that's where you know my book shows up in like Toledo or you know some place, some smaller place or whatever. It'll show up, and it's because like a, you know a patron said, "Hey, like order this book." Um, Oh my God, I don't think I ever paid nine bucks for Stoner. So, okay. I have to check. It's maybe been a while, but yeah. Um, I only use, yeah, I only do the windshield. Like, I don't do any other. I might do the headlights um, with Stoner, I guess, but I would, I don't do any of the other glass with, with that. So, wow. Wow. It's big stuff. All right. I'm going to, um, take us out with a couple of our trailers here for the books. Um, so thanks again. Watch hours. Yeah. If you can keep the, sh the shows going and watch them as you're doing other things. Um, you know, we have enough subscribers, but we're still hovering around 2,500 watch hours. I need 4,000. So well, I guess Bolo's not around anymore to stream on his 15 devices through Verizon, but <laughs> so but yeah, let me let me find here, um, and our trailers to to take us out here. Where are they even? Um, really, it's really messed up here. We haven't had to do the intermission for a while, so. But all right, everybody, thanks. This is Doc out, um, and I am going to be starting. By the way, Face Validity Fridays um, in the morning again. Um, one, cause that's Friday mornings was a day that I narrated. So I couldn't do that. Um, but now that we're beyond that, I think I'm going, I don't think I'm going to start this Friday, but I'm going to look at restarting that because that was always good. We had a good turnout for that. And I enjoyed putting the articles together and I felt like I could write, um, 
like an article about that or even kind of present about this whole phase validity and some of the ways that we did that. So I want to get back into that. So let's see here. So take out wiper marks. Um, yeah, Eastwood Mill. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I spend a lot of time in summer detailing my vehicles. Part of it's because I'm retired and I just, I love being out in the sun working on my vehicles with a podcast playing in my garage. Uh, so I, I get a lot of satisfaction out of that. So cool. All right. No one's done the 21st thumbs up. So if you give a thumbs up there, but all right. Appreciate it. Um, thanks everybody. And, and uh, I will see you back here uh, next Monday. As chaos erupts, torrents of conflicting yet urgent messages gush from media outlets. What is the magnitude of the incident and what should people do to protect themselves? Dr. David Perodin clarifies human behavior during days, weeks, months, or even years of chaos. Reporter James David Dixon of the Detroit News proclaims, the velocity of information is an education in the way people react and adapt to change. Never has it been more important to sift facts and stories for truth and meaning. The velocity of information will teach you how people have done it in history, in the modern day, and even in prison. There are teachable moments on every page. Buy the Velocity of Information, Human Thinking During Chaotic Times. Available from your favorite bookstore or online retailer. A must read for parents, teachers, and taxpayers. Dr. David Perodin has written the most honest book about the $3 billion school safety industrial complex. Attorney James Sibley proclaims, a brave demonstration of speaking truth to power. School of Errors rips the lid off the billion-dollar school safety industry. Using real-world examples of successful responses in desperate situations, David contrasts the expensive window dressings pitched to panic parents with the inexpensive and effective approaches proven to actually work. Read this book before you let your school waste another precious dollar on meaningless safety theater. Buy the international bestseller, School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America, now at Barnes & Noble or Amazon. As chaos erupts, torrents of conflicting yet urgent messages gush from media outlets. What is the magnitude of the incident and what should people do to protect themselves? Dr. David P. Perodin teaches you how to prevent mental burnout by observing indicators and building a robust member check network. Reporter James David Dixon of the Detroit News proclaims, the velocity of information will empower its readers. Drawing on current events, history, interviews, and scholarship, the velocity of information is an education in the way people react and adapt to change in this fast-spinning world. Never has it been more important to sift facts and stories for truth and meaning. There are teachable moments on every page. Buy The Velocity of Information, Human Thinking During Chaotic Times. Available from your favorite bookstore or online retailer.